Hello, and welcome back to D3 Glory Days, the number one D3 running podcast on planet Earth. I'm Stu Neustadt, joined as always by Noah Drotti. We're thrilled to bring you part three of the SUNY Cortland Dynasty series. It's been a blast getting to hear the stories and learn what made this team so dominant. We hope you've enjoyed the series as much as we have. And to make sure you understand what's going on, go back, listen to episodes one and two, so that way you know what's going on. The interviews that follow here with Julie Donnelly, Cindy Lausanne, and Mickey Kelly wrap up 10 hours of interviews that Stu and I have done. And it all culminates in this final episode, or is it the final episode, of SUNY Cortland, The Dynasty. This is the end of an era. Thank you so much for following along with us so far. We really want to say thank you to the women of SUNY Cortland who uh, were so generous with their time in this series. Stu and I learned a lot. We hope you will too. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Here's to the glory days. All right. Welcome back to part three of the SUNY Cortland Dynasty. Today, to kick things off, we're joined by Julie Donnelly Bailey. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, You're welcome. Thanks so much for doing this. It's been great to hear all the voices and stories. It's been fantastic. Oh, great. It's been a blast being able to bring the stories back to life and let you all kind of relive your glory days as well as fill everyone else in on (laughs) what you were able to accomplish back in the 90s. So it sounds like you've been listening and so you probably know how we get things started. You know, the biggest question we want to start off with is, you know, how did you find Cortland and, and what attracted you to go run for Jack Daniels? Um, well, that's, that's a great question because it was my senior year. My father was my high school coach, so he actually started to use some of Jack's training methods my uh, senior year. And that was the year Jack was on the cover of Runner's World as the world's greatest coach. So, you know, Cortland is an hour and 15 minutes away from my house. He's on the cover of Runner's World. I want to be a physical education teacher, and Cortland's one of the best physical education schools in the nation. Plus, on top of it, the ladies are the reigning national champions. So in the end, it was really an easy decision, and I loved it from day one. Was there any intimidation factor when considering going there? You know, you're you're a high school runner, you see the best coach of all time in runner's world, national championship right. team. Did that challenge excite you or were you a little bit like, oh man, am I getting in over my head here? <laughs> I think I was a little nervous at first because Jack was probably one of the last coaches to contact me. So I was a little nervous that maybe I wasn't you know, good enough to be on this team. But once I met him and met everybody else, I wanted nothing just to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of it so badly. So. Cortland was close to your home, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of your teammates, you know, were from the Cortland area. So not a lot of people were traveling a long way to get to Cortland. Why do you think you were all so comfortable staying so close to home and running there? Um, I personally wanted to be close to home. There were other schools that, you know, were contacting me, even one in North Carolina. And I just, I would, I just wanted to be close to home. My father was my coach. I wanted my family to be able to be close by and to watch if they wanted to and to be right there and I wanted to go home you know to be close to home and I remember at one point Jack 
even mentioning, I think at one point our top seven, we were all, I think a two hour radius from Cortland and we were national champions. And even he thought that was incredible. So um, yeah, I personally just wanted to be close to home and it was great to have it right there. Just this amazing team and coach right there. Our listeners are, you know, they're going to remember back to episode one of the series and the women we talked to for that series are very different than you. They went to Cortland not intending to run at all, not knowing who Jack Daniels was at all. Mm -hmm. And at some point when you guys started winning national championships, that switched and all of a sudden the program, you know, started to gain some notoriety. Um, One idea Stu and I have been kind of thinking about is at what point is notoriety kind of detrimental to the recruiting process? Like, are you intimidating athletes from going there? Like, does the recruit pool get smaller when, you know, you're a national championship team and you have the greatest coach in the world? Do (laughs) do you think, do you think Jack Daniels and the national and his national championships scared anybody away? I don't ever remember thinking that. Um, I remember just, I remember when Mickey Kelly came to visit campus and talking to her for a little bit and I was so happy when she decided to come. So I, I don't remember feeling that way and I don't, you know, I don't know if any other, no one ever mentioned that of my teammates that joined, you know, the years after um, I became part of the team. That was something no one ever mentioned. And I don't know if that was the case later on or not, but I never felt that. And no one had, I've never mentioned, you know, has no one else ever mentioned that. To lay some groundwork Mm -hmm. on who you were as a high school athlete, what were your PRs heading into Cortland? My senior year of cross country, I think my best time was a, I'm a 1930 at the state meet. Let's see, a 505 in the 1500 meters was probably my PR there, 225 in the 800 um, and 1038 um, in the 3000, which Cindy Lozon and I actually realized at one state meet we were running next to each other. She was a junior, I was a senior. We ran the exact same time and realized, you know, years later we would become teammates and here we are in pictures together right next to each other years before. So those were the times I was coming in with. So some solid times, but not incredible times. Right. How did, how did you fit in on the, on the Cortland team your freshman year? I can remember inner squad our first year there. And, you know, that was just after a couple of weeks maybe of practice. And that was the first time we were able to all race together to really figure out where everyone is going to be. And I, that was the first day I realized I could possibly be a part of this top seven was on that day. And that was a really special day. To know I was going to be a part of that group. Did you did you do anything different over the summer to prepare you to get ready for that, or you know what was your summer preparation like, kind of getting ready for college running? Um, well, Jack always sent home a summer program, and I can even remember my mother telling Jack, you know, she is doing her best to follow what is in that program that you wrote up. And my father was a coach; he was my high school coach, so you know, I could continue to run with, you know, his summer program. So those kids helped me a lot to just help put in the miles I needed to put in and the workouts. I was, you know, he was starting to use those same workouts that Jack was putting in to that packet to slowly modify his program as well. So um, I did the best I could to do whatever Jack wrote up into that summer program, because I knew it was going to be really important if I was going to be a part of that top seven to do what he was telling me to do. So it was really learning how to fix my running form and to hit those numbers the way he described. What are your early memories of Jack um, getting to getting to school as a freshman? Was there a moment where you were like, okay, this is Jack Daniels? <laughs> well, that spring, I think this, uh, Heather and Heidi mentioned he was, my senior year, he was on a sabbatical. 
So he, he and he was the last coach to contact me. And so it was really special. And he wanted my father and I to come visit him at Cortland. And so my father and I get to the PE building and we turn the corner for his office and the hallway is filled with runners because everyone is so excited that he's come back to campus for this you know, short time. So they want to see him. So we stood there a little bit and talked to everyone in the hallway. And sure enough, Jack comes around the corner and everyone's faces light up and they're so excited to see him because they haven't seen him for months. And of course, he opens up his office door and invites my father and I in. She goes, that's our meeting time. So I felt horrible that all these athletes are waiting to talk to him. And I'm the one who gets to go in the office and sit down. But I will never forget that moment because his tiny little office is filled wall to wall with books and research and photos of his national championship teams and awards. And there were pictures of his wife, Nancy. Um, Jack is an excellent photographer and he had these beautiful pictures of Nancy. And I think he could tell I could not take my eyes off of these pictures. And he told us stories about Nancy and her racing and these incredible races she had and her training. And he just talked about everything, his research and the places he had been and coached. And it was at that moment I realized what a special person this was. And I could not wait to be a part of you know, what I was seeing in just this tiny little office that I was in and just those athletes waiting outside his door just showed what a great person and great man he was and how important he was to their lives. That almost speaks a little more volumes to the, than the championships he's won. If a whole entire team is coming back to greet yeah. your coach, it, it's definitely it a, a good sign. Right there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of with that said then, you know, your first year on campus is 1993 to kind of paint the timeline. Uh, at that point, uh, Cortland had, as you said, were reigning national champs in 92, mm-hmm. and they won two prior in 89 and 90. So at that point, it's kind of like, wow, you've, you're joining a pretty stellar team. You know, what was the team culture like, and how much did they embrace you coming into the program? Oh, they absolutely did. It was, I can still remember the very first day, and I remember <laughs> that first practice right they were talking you know about Jack and I'm like you guys just call him Jack you know not like coach Daniels or coach and they're like yeah <laughs> so quickly he became just you know Jack me too but they were yes they totally embraced us I was first thankful to have the other first year runners with me Laura and Marissa and Dee to have those other freshmen with me to just experience that first year together as freshmen it was so nice to have them on campus and you know, eating dinners together, it was nice to have them and they totally embraced us. They showed us, you know, all the easy runs and Dorothy was a huge help for me because we had similar race times. So our workout times were exactly the same and Dorothy taught me everything about, you know, the workouts, tempo, interval, rep, where the split marks were, you know, if we were fast, if we were slow, so we could hit our numbers perfectly, which is so important with those workouts. To work properly, you have to run the workout correctly. And she taught me so much. I was so thankful for her guidance because I learned so much from her. And that was a huge help. And she was two years older than I was. So for her to take me under her wing, that was huge. And I was extremely thankful. So you came in in 93 and there were plenty of talented national champions coming before you. Where did you put them in your head as, you know, legends or just folklore? Or how did you view them as you were running? Jack always told this story. I think it's one of Jack's favorite stories of when Vicki Mitchell literally started off in last place, passed the entire field and won. It was one of his favorite stories ever. And I use it myself as a coach to show kids, you don't have to sprint out the first 200, 400 meters. Why are you doing that? I mean, this woman started out last and was a national champion. So if you're just racing intelligently and steady, you're gonna be okay, it works. 
And I think that's literally one of his favorite stories. He loved telling that story of how she did that. And I remember Inner Squad, Vicky came to run an Inner Squad. And it was just so incredible to be around this national champion and um, to race with her in that race. I think there was a picture that Cortland had <laughs> in one of their, you know, informational pamphlets that we would send out. But um, it was a picture from Inner Squad. And I'm actually near Vicky in the picture because, of course, I went out too fast that day. It was my first race. So the kids laughed at me. They're like, look, Julie, you're right next to Vicky in the picture. You went out too fast. But I loved it because I was right next to her in that picture. To me, that was just an incredible moment to be pictured in the same picture with Vicki Mitchell. So, um, yeah, they were, it's, and, you know, my daughter's about to head off to run with Judy, who's also a 10-time All-American and placed second at Nationals. It's just incredible what, you, what they were able to do. And I looked up to all of them so much. Tell us about some of your early racing, like leading up to nationals your freshman year. We'll talk about that race separately, but how quickly did you adjust to college level racing? Well, I remember after that inner squad race and they were like, Julie, we start slower than <laughs> you did that day. So I was like, okay, you guys, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me. So, you know, I quickly learned their style of racing and, you know, your running form slowly gets better and better as you're running with these women every day that have already mastered that quick turnover. So I always tell people it's, running form osmosis like it just spreads from to one person to the next because you're running together all the time and I, I loved racing so it was great to just every weekend and especially when you're going from high school with two races a week to one I just loved being able to train and having that one race each Saturday to just try to keep improving and I just absolutely loved being a part of that group it was an incredible experience you mentioned like early on in the inner squad, like, ooh, I can be top seven. Mm -hmm. When did that actually come into fruition that, wow, I'm going to run the national meet as a first year? I think just, you know, every week I was, you know, I think either five, six, fifth or sixth each time we raced. So as we got closer and closer, I knew, you know, we're going to nationals and here we go on this first trip. And they were just the, just the greatest to have these women, you know, I'm surrounded by them every day and they've been there for years teaching me everything and showing me the ropes, especially at nationals with, you know, traveling and that national spotlight and just being ready for that big race. And they were just, it was just incredibly to be a part of that group of women as a freshman that year. Let's talk nationals. It seems like Jack always did a great job about keeping the mood light and mm -hmm. getting you guys to nationals, not only ready, ready physically, but in a good headspace. And I think that's especially important for a freshman who's a contributing member to a potential national championship team at that point. What was your headspace like going into that, the biggest meet of your, right. your career really to that point? I was really excited. I just remember just trying to do everything I had learned in high school and just, you know, what I was eating and make sure I was hydrated and rested and get a good night's sleep and just to be ready that next morning, you know, we always jogged the course over and made sure we were prepared. And just, I just remember stepping up to that line and, you know, just being ready to follow their lead with that intelligent start because I knew they knew exactly what they were doing and we had to start intelligently the way Jack liked us to do. And I just followed their lead off that starting line that year. And it was, it was just an incredible day just to be a part of that. Was there any pressure to go out and win. This is sort of when Calvin College mm -hmm. came onto the scene. Yep. Uh, so it sounds like that was a team you guys were eyeing and making sure you can hold off. 
Yeah, it wasn't really a daily pressure that we felt every day through the season, but as, as each year as we approached the nationals, you know, Jack would start to talk about it a little bit more, probably sometimes just like the day before the race, he would, you know, let us know, you know, maybe who was seated first or, you know, favored to win. We never really knew specific times of runners. It was just, this is the team we have to beat. And how are you going to do it? You're going to race intelligently and with all of your hearts. And that's how you're going to do it. You just race the way you were taught to race. There wasn't too much information thrown at us. It was just, you're ready and you know how to race and go out there and do it. And well, let's see what happens. And it was amazing to watch what happened every time. Even if somebody didn't have their best day, there was always somebody else there to step it up a notch. You finished 30th. Um, as a freshman at the national meet, you had to have been content with that. Um, absolutely. Yeah, that was really exciting. Uh, at that point, I think all Americans were top 25. So Dorothy and I had just missed that. But to be a freshman and doing that well, and that was, I ended up being our fifth on the team that day. So that was a surprise. And I just remember just charging into that finish, knowing I am number five today. I really got to, you know, catch as many as I can. And I remember catching a girl from Kelvin just, you know, the few steps before the line and Dorothy did the same thing. And I just was so nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, did we, were we able to do it? And just how incredible it was to figure out that, yes, we did it. And it was a great day. And referencing your, your high school times, you know, I think very rarely do you know, women with your times or even guys that equivalent on the guy side, you know, can place that high in their first year. It kind of <laughs> takes that big learning curve. Like, did you kind of reflect as high school senior and be like, wow, freshman or freshman year, Julie is incredible now. I don't, I don't know if I really, what I expected. I just kind of jumped right in and these ladies helped me, you know, just learn this way of running and racing and your goal is to just keep improving every single day. And sometimes it was amazing. You're just like, I can't believe that just happened. And then, you know, you're improving so fast at times. Even my first freshman year of track, it was like, just incredible how these workouts, and I tell my runners to this day, that the workouts will turn you into an efficient racing machine if you believe in it and you trust it and work at it every day. It was just amazing to see how the training really when you have research training methods that's what happens you know you're right down to the cell level that's affecting your body and helping you become a great runner you wrap up your freshman cross-country season you know going into your sophomore cross-country season you guys had to have been confident you had michelle lafleur coming back mm -hmm. who would go on to win the national championship that yep. year the team was super deep what did you do differently that summer leading into your sophomore year? Did, did you go on the Colorado training trips with the team? Um, I never did. No, I was always at home. Um, my father had a summer running program, so I always used that as a little motivator. And I was always putting a little more extra miles to practice, back from practice and the strength training. And my workouts were a little longer than theirs, but they were a great help to help keep me going through because those workouts were difficult to do by yourself. So to have those, that team of runners to kind of help me a little bit each day but for the most part, it was just always following best I possibly could at what Jack wrote into that summer program. That's, you know, it was working and I just kept doing it every year. It was my Bible. What was that like having your dad as a coach and then transitioning to Jack Daniels? Was, like, did your dad just immediately give up the reins or did he try to, <laughs> uh, you know, keep giving you training? Uh, he, <laughs> that's a great question. He, he's in, they're both incredible people. I learned so much from both of them. So 
Uh, my dad was a huge help through the summer, you know, as I'm training, you know, he was there to read all these workouts and help me through them, you know, as needed. And he would kept modifying his own program to kind of match what we were doing. And those kids kept doing more and more of what I was doing into their high school program. And, but yeah, he was just learning as much as he could from, from me through Jack. And I would send him workouts all year long, like a new workout I would send at home and, you know, how great it was and he should add it in and do this. So he loved it because, you know, I was this direct connection to Dr. Jack Daniels and to help him keep learning Jack's style of coaching and training methods and how to use them properly. So he loved it. It was great. And his teams did incredibly well as he continued to gain, you know, the workouts and the knowledge from Jack's training. Did that bring you and your dad a lot closer on a personal level to have that kind of connection with Jack that you both shared? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was my coach my whole life. And, um, you know, I continued, you know, to just, I would write letters home with, you know, all this new, you know, new workout or what to do or how to change things. And we even coached together when I became a coach myself. He coached for me for years at the high school level, at the college level. So that was really special to just share that for so many years, you know, running and coaching together. It was, that's very special. Not many people get to, you know, experience that. And so that was really special bond. Heading into your, your sophomore year, you're in the midst of a two-peat going on a three-peat. Mm-hmm. Was that the focus that year or what was the conversations like at practice and before meets uh, in 94? I think every year was really the same. The, the pressure for a national title wasn't something we carried around every single day. You know, we were, we were also students working really hard in the classroom too. So our, we had a you know, full plate trying to be the best runners we could be and just to really our focus was just one workout at a time, one race at a time, you know, staying healthy and mastering the work in our classes and balancing that every single day. Um, that was really our goal. You're just staying healthy and just trying to improve every day as each national championship approached, then there was more talk on, you know, what teams we may have to look out for. And but we always felt ready. I don't remember always feeling ready to step on that national starting line. And really all we ever knew was there was, you know, this other team Calvin or Oshkosh, you know, a lot of the time that we had to beat. And how are you going to beat them? Just race the way you were taught to race and with everything you got inside of you. And just, it was great races for four years. I think Stu and I are, we've kind of been fishing for an answer here. When we, when <laughs> we talk about pressure, we never got to compete for a national championship. And mm-hmm. so we're just like, we're just, <laughs> we're just like, tell us that it was pressure. Tell us yeah. that it was horrible. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to to go back to your academics because this is a division three podcast exclusively and a lot of division three athletes have to balance a lot of right. different things with their athletics talk about your experience in the classroom and carving out time to you know to obviously com- compete and train at the elite mm-hmm. level in college but you know you had other stuff going on too yeah I was I often told when I was coaching at the college level I would tell um, student athletes this all the time as runners in high school you know they were nervous of trying to balance it again and I said you know what it's it's pretty much what you've already been doing you and now you have classes that are usually spaced out a little more more than high school so you have time to get your work done and you know the running really is something so important for your day because it's giving you that exercise and that break and it's that was such an important thing that I didn't want students to really let go of thinking they couldn't handle it because you know it was just 
you know, you get up. Sometimes we had morning runs and I was probably the only person up on campus some days because I was a phys ed major. So my day started early, usually at 8 a.m. with our extra activity classes. And, you know, it was nonstop through the day and then practice and dinner and sometimes the training room for strength training. So it was every single day was just a nonstop, you know, from running and classes and running, dinner, work, go to bed, repeat. It was but I wouldn't have changed it. It was, I loved every single day I was there. It was the place for me. Did your team have any rituals that kind of went along with that daily grind? Like, did you guys always go to the library or eat dinner together? Like, what was it like as a team outside of practice? There was a lot of dinners we ate together. Um, Not everybody was on campus. So, but there were a lot of times we were eating dinner all together. And those were, you know, some great memories thinking about that. Sometimes we'd have pasta dinners before, um, you know, our Saturday meets. So those are always a good time too. So yeah, there was a lot of extra time, you know, trips to friendlies for some ice cream, you know, fun stuff like that. But yeah, we were always doing things together. Going into nationals in 94, 30th the year before as a freshman, what did you think your capability was going into that race? Where, where did you think you might end up? I was definitely hoping to be an All-American that time after, you know, missing it. I was so close the year before, and I think I think it was that year they bumped it up to top 30. And then the year after that, I think it was 35. So I was, you know, definitely hoping to be an All-American that year. That was definitely, definitely a goal. And you, you achieved it. Uh, third on the team that day, um, Michelle LaFleur won. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. you were 17th? 17th. Yes. Um, what, can you, what can you tell us about the aftermath of that race? The beginning of that race was such a crowded, I remember feeling so crowded and keeping my eyes on all those, you know, the pink tops. The rest of the day we wore the blue spankies on the bottom. So just trying to keep an eye on, we had ribbons in our hair too, to try to keep an eye on where my teammates were to make sure my, you know, I was feeling that turnover rate to feel that start was where I needed to be. And, you know, it was always the same goal, start intelligently, and from there, pass as many people as you possibly could. That was the race with that long finish stretch, and you actually had a pass. So you were heading down and had that hairpin turn, so you're seeing people finish as you're coming around the corner to make that long stretch yourself, and trying to pass as many people as I could on the way in, and was really happy with that. You know, it's always, you never knew it was going to happen on those days, and it was just always so great when you had a good day on the right day, and it was always so fun to be a part of that. A lot of your teammates have done extremely well in their careers. You know, we mentioned Michelle LaFleur, she won it. Was there like a jealousy of someone doing better than you did? Like, obviously you were all American and you want to do as mm-hmm. the best you can, but we were like, dang, I wanted to win that. <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, it was my junior year where I was had two injuries in a row and it was over winter break. I would just finished, you know, our third cross country nationals. I ran my best time ever. That's when I finished eighth and it's winter break and I'm running at a, my aunt's house and there was a ton of snow. So at one point I actually finished a run and I went out to go do an extra mile or two and I'm jumping down off the snow bank because the snow was so high to get on the sidewalk and I sprained my ankle, a major ankle sprain. So as I tried to come back from that, I also had IT band tendonitis. So it was just two in a row. And that was a really rough patch for me because at that point I went from the best shape of my life to dealing with these two injuries and trying to stay in shape in the pool the best I could. And it was it was a very difficult time to kind of get through that heading into my senior year, having to, you know, to deal with that. It was very difficult. 
was it hard watching your, your teammates have success with you on the sidelines? Or what was the biggest uh, hurdle you had to get over? Obviously, you mentioned you're in the best shape of your life. But what was right. like the main thing that was, was bugging you during that time? It was just hard not to be with them every day. You know, to just not be with the team every day going to, you know, I couldn't go to the races with them anymore. So that probably was the most difficult part. It was, I actually, my master's thesis was involved the psychological aspects of athletic injuries because that time period was so difficult for me. I wanted to learn more about how to help athletes through a time period like that. And it's actually, it was a difficult time for me then, but what I learned I am able to help my athletes now as a coach because of what I experienced and then what I studied to try and learn more about that and how to help athletes through that. So it was hard, but I learned so much that's so valuable to me now as a coach. How present was Jack during your time of injury? Um, he was there. You know, we talked a lot. And I remember talking about swimming. He goes, you know, you may want to swim twice a day sometimes, you know, to just keep your lungs as in shape as you possibly can. I remember coming back with the IT band tendonitis, I think I had to take six weeks that I couldn't run to try to get rid of the tendonitis. And I remember it was my time to run again. I could start to run again. I remember going out for a run. I made it maybe 800 meters. And that sharp pain came back into my knee. And I was just in tears when I came back to my house. Uh, I was at home at the time. And then when I returned to Cortland, Jack said, you know what? He goes, you know, for three, four days, just do a really short, quick, you know, just a short run and let's see what happens. You know, just, let's just see what happens. And it went away. <laughs> I did it and it went away and he almost couldn't believe it. He goes, it's gone. It's really, it's gone. I'm like, it's gone. So I don't know if it was just scar tissue that I needed to get rid of, you know, to get that pain to go away. But, you know, he was always there if I needed to talk to him. I remember Nancy at one point telling me when I was trying to come back from those injuries, you know, maybe, you know, you should talk to a sports psychologist, you know, at Cortland and, it took me years later to really realize he probably would have helped me through that time. Just, I kind of lost the joy for running because it was such a stress and pressure to try to come back that next year during track. And specifically, I was just trying to chase those numbers down so badly that I forgot, you know, to have that love for running in your heart is what's most important. So that again has helped me as a coach as well to just really slowly help athletes come back from injury because it's going to be much more successful for them. So again, it was hard, but I learned so much. I'm glad you brought up Nancy again, Jack's wife. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's a character in this story that we haven't given much time to. Can you tell us about her role on the team? There were times where she would come to the track. I remember, you know, the, the girls were very young when I was at Coraline, I think even babysat. I think the girls talk about this all the time when I came to babysat. Sarah and Audra, um, when Sarah was only a baby. So she was, you know, really at home most of the time because the girls were so young. I know it was a time for her where she didn't get to run a lot because she was home with the girls. And I remember her finally being able to come back to the track and run around with us a little bit. And it was, you know, just always so nice. She was always so kind and, you know, wanted to hear how you were doing and your stories. And she was just so motherly and nice to have her around. That was similar to our coach's wife, Stacy. She always, you know, really personally got to know everyone and, you know, wanted to hear how you're doing. And I think it just kind of creates that family environment yeah. that we've definitely picked up on uh, throughout Cortland, this Cortland series. And so that's, that's fun mm -hmm. to hear about that. Uh, kind of transitioning back into more about you and your training, you know, you mentioned your injury, but prior to that, and maybe after that as well, you know, where did you fall in the training spectrum? We've heard that uh, a few people, you know, never maxed out at over 
40 miles a week. Mm-hmm. And then we heard that others got up to 70 to 80 mm-hmm. miles a week. You know, where were you in that, uh, that um, spectrum? I was one of those 40 mile a week girls. I was right at the 38, 40 most of the time. I even remember my sophomore year, I started to put in 10 mile runs on Sundays. And I started to run really well. I remember Dorothy getting so excited. She's like, Julie, it's the 10 mile runs. It's a 10 mile runs. You know, she was just so excited to see me do starting to do so well. And I remember at the end of that cross country season, Jack's like, Julie, you don't have to do those 10 mile runs anymore on Sundays, you know, right? Because we were heading into track. So I just reduced it a little bit. But I think with my, in high school, I had a, a, some knee injuries and I had to, I had to go to the training room almost, you know, two, three times a week, my whole experience at Cortland to make sure my muscular strength, you know, my muscles were in balance. It was, you know, my second home was the training room to stay healthy. So Jack, I think, knew I needed to keep those miles, you know, right at 40. Um, so I could keep my body, keep, keep going and stay healthy. Before we move on to 1996, I feel like we kind of just glanced over your eighth place finish in 95. Um, listeners at home would do well to be reminded that that was also my highest finish yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's when the first plug about you in such a long time. That's uh, I know. It's, Good job, Noah. It, it's so hard not to talk <laughs> about myself on this podcast. It's so hard. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, what, what were your What were your reactions that day? I mean, you go from 30th to eighth right. in two years from pretty humble beginnings. Um, you guys win another national yep. team championship. Your third in a row. Um, was it getting old at that point? Are you kidding me? No, um, that was probably one of my favorite days of all time. I think Heather and Heidi mentioned how nervous we were. It was, I don't know why, but we were, I was, I've never been that nervous for a race in my life. I remember at breakfast, Jen Bozek's high school coach had come and he was so excited about the race that day. And he was talking about all the teams and he was so excited and it just made me more nervous. I knew it was so sweet. And I was just making me more, I took, all of my energy to just get a half of a bagel, I think, and in a part of a banana to get in because I was so nervous that day. And I remember it was the first time they'd ever done this, but they're counting down minutes and seconds before the race went off, which made our nerves increase even higher. And Jack wanted to give us words at the starting line, which I don't think he'd ever huddled us together at the starting line like this before. So we huddled us together. But Heidi has a like a knot in her spike. So she's sitting on the ground trying to get this knot out of her spike. So put her, I think she finally got it out. It's putting her shoe on while Jack is giving us these words in the huddle, which I will never forget what he said. And it was so special. We were like almost all in tears as we're, you know, preparing for the line. Heidi jumped up. We step our foot on the starting line. I think it was like 20 seconds left and the gun went off. And it was just such a roller coaster in those minutes before the race. And it was another really fast start I remember putting myself in a bubble to try to really hold my pace and I was 80th at the mile mark and I remember seeing a few other of my teammates were near that so here's the mile mark I'm in 80th I'm like okay time for it's go time and just reeling runners like crazy for the rest of the race there was a steep hill at one point in time and I loved hills so I didn't mind it at all and at the top of that hill it was near that point where I caught up to Michelle Franklin, who I knew her back was bothering her at that time. I could tell she was in pain. So I knew, oh my gosh, Julie, you got to kick it up harder. And then I passed Heidi, who was wearing one shoe. Heidi has one shoe on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to kick it in more. So every, I just knew I just had to keep working because we had to do this again. And my team needed me. And I just kept just reeling as many runners as I possibly could. And when I realized I was eighth, I couldn't even believe it. I went from 80th to eighth. 
by the end. And it was just such an exciting day. And Heather did so well. And we top five were all All-American. So it was just one of my favorite days. And it was just tremendous. I loved it. What were those words from Jack that propels you throughout the race? <laughs> What's said in the huddle stays in the huddle, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It was really special, but it like literally got, got us right at the heart and it was the best way to turn around and go. It was really special. You're maybe the third or fourth person to mention the slow start and then you mm -hmm. see your teammates, you know, maybe not doing as well. Uh, where does that drive come from? You know, we've asked a few people this, but does that come internally from you or do you get motivation from your teammates and Jack to like, hey, it's, it's next woman up when someone's not doing well? I really think every time I stepped on a national starting line, it was these six women need me to run the best race of my life today. And there's, you know, that prayer to God, like, God, please help me have a good day on the right day because these ladies need me right now. And, you know, that was on your mind. It was, you know, they are depending on me to do my best. And that's what you did every time you stepped up on that line. And it was, I was just so thankful to have four really great cross-country national races. I just felt so blessed because in the end, you know, it's really just luck and a prayer that today is a good day on the right day. We were always, always prepared, but it's, you know, please, can I have a good day on the right day? And it was, it always amazed me on those two, there were two times in 93 and 95 where someone didn't have their best day and we were still able to win. And that is incredible when your team can step up like that and still win a national title when someone who just wasn't at their best. And we were just, that's how we were. We meant so much to each other. We were a family and it was, we have to make this happen. We have to make this happen because we are gonna give it everything we've got to that finish line. Moving on to 1996, you're coming off a pretty big high the year before in cross country, mm -hmm. but in the more immediate sense, you're coming off an injury. W was Jack still there in 1996 or did he take a sabbatical that year? Um, he was there at first. I think it was maybe the first week he called Cindy and I aside after our workout and told us he was going to have to leave for the sabbatical, asking when he was going to Arizona, I think to the National Olympic Training Center. So, you know, we under we were shocked. So we're, you know, sad and shocked at first, but we understood it was a great opportunity for him. He was going to continue to send the workouts home for us to Brian to give to us. At that point, you know, we knew how to do the workouts. Was it going to be the same without him there? No, but you know, we just had to pick ourselves up and just keep going and do the best we could every day. Like we normally would. What was the, the vibes for lack of a better term, like during that year with not, without him there. And that's also the first year without the Swartz's twins right. and so Michelle what, Franklin. <laughs> yeah. So what was so we, that like, you know, that whole kind of season, that feeling like, well, just right. like, a, ooh, is this a rebuilding year or is this, can we pull something off? Right. You know, what were you guys feeling? You know, at first it was hard because Jack had to leave. So, you know, it was, it was tough. And I'm, you know, with myself, I'm dealing with coming back from this injury was very difficult. I kept retwist, I kept spraining my ankle again and again and again. I had my ankle taped most of the time. So to build that strength up took a very long time. So I'm dealing with that own challenge myself, just trying to improve every day. And Jack wasn't there, but, you know, we just, you know, we just kind of, did what we always had done. We just tried to do our best every single day to keep improving. And, you know, we, we had a lot of fun together. I remember the regional race that year was um, on a course I'd run in high school. So I knew the course well, there was a huge hill in it. It was super muddy that day. 
and we did really well. So I think to finally come together towards the end of that season, dealing with what we had dealt with and to do really well at the regional on this muddy course. And, you know, I, I think it's one of my father's favorite pictures of us is, you know, we're covered in mud and my mother took this picture of us all huddled together. So it was, you know, we had a great time together and we did really well there. So I think we just, you know, we went to nationals thinking, you know, who knows, we knew it was going to be difficult, but for me to step on that starting line, it was always, oh, let's go try and see what we can do. So that really didn't change. It was just a little different that Jack wasn't there and we were missing three fantastic runners. And what are you going to do? You just do the best you can every single day. So would you say the level of optimism on the start line at Nationals 1996 was pretty similar to the years prior to that? I mean, for me, it felt the same. You know, I knew I was just going to have to go out there and reel in as many as I could for, for myself. I knew it was going to be a stretch, but I desperately wanted to be in the top 15. And not just an All-American. I wanted to be in the top 15. It was my last Nationals. I knew it was going to be very difficult after the season that I had had. And it was very similar to the year before. It was 80th at the mile mark. And then from there, it was just, I got to get as many of these runners as I can. And there was a downhill towards the finish. And then it gradually downhill all the way to the finish line. And every runner I could see in my head was 15. And it helped me just push myself and push myself to every single runner to me was number 15. And I remember crossing the line. And I don't think I've ever pushed myself so hard in my life. There was nothing left. I think my body was in shock for what I just did. I saw Brian in the crowd first and I asked, you know, how the team did. I knew Cindy had done really well and I did the best I could. And he said, you know, explain that, you know, we didn't, we didn't do it again. And I think I immediately felt like as a leader on the team, I felt like, gosh, was there something I could have done or said? I knew it was a young team and I knew sometimes that experience is, you know, going to nationals is part of the game. And I think I immediately felt, you know, was there something I could have done to help? But as we made our way back to that spot where everyone was, we were quickly surrounded by all these people who came to cheer for us that day. And there was coaches and parents and our, some of our teammates came all the way to watch us. And just immediately I realized no one was disappointed. They were so happy to just see us run so well and that we were there and it was okay that we didn't win. And it, that totally changed the mood for the rest of the day. It was okay that it didn't happen today. You know, you were here and you did the best you could and Cindy did an amazing job. She placed second that day. So it was okay. You know, we, it happens. And it, they took a lot of pressure off my shoulders that I was feeling. And I'll never forget that, that they were so supportive. This is the first kind of context we're getting because we get most of our information off of uh, Cortland's website. And mm -hmm. if you've been on there, they bold each win and it's very noticeable, you know, 95, <laughs> it's bolded 96, right. it's not bolded 97, it's bolded. Right. So it's good yeah. to kind of hear, you know, kind of what happened. And like, yeah. you know, I think my biggest question was like, you know, was everyone upset? Was everyone mad? Right. But again, going back to that, you know, when we first got on campus, you know, no matter the result, people are going to be, you know, with you. It's a family. Yeah. It's not so much wins and losses. Right. It's you're staying together through everything. You know, do you remember any conversations after that, after that race of, hey, let's go, you know, crush it in track or any sort of motivational or what were the, what was the conversations like after the race? Gosh, I think once you get to a national championship like that and it's, you finally get through it, it's like, it's time to take a breath. <laughs> before you're heading into that indoor season it's like whoosh and then you kind of shift gears and we usually had one indoor race uh at Cornell each year 
um, before we really went home for the winter session. So it was, it was always just a time to take a breath for a second and reflect. And they were all ready. They were already ready to keep going and no one was really upset. And I wasn't disappointed. I took it on more to myself where, you know, I felt like it was there something I could have done to help today, but you know, no one was, there was no disappointment. It was just, well, let's keep going on to the next thing. So. You are the seventh Cortland athlete we've interviewed at this point. And, you know, we're starting to get a feel for how you guys operated on the team. And, and it really does seem like as a group, you guys really never got too high or went too low. Like if you won the national championship, that's great. We did our best. Right. We lose the national championship. That's okay. We still did our best. And I mean, that has to come back as a testament to Jack and a key reason for, you know, why we have you guys on the podcast now, because you established a, a long-term dynasty and just that even kill nature has to have played a huge role in that. And he was there that day in 1996. I remember him being so, I think he was shocked that I placed um, 14th day because it was such a challenging season. But like I said, like no one, there was this disappointment, you know, that, oh my gosh, you didn't, you couldn't do it again. They understood it was such a young team. And, you know, we had lost, you know, these three great runners, you know, from the year before. And, you know, he always just wanted us to, I think, realize what you had inside yourself. And to just believe in the training that, you know, he had created. And that's what really was so important to him, that you believed in that. Um, you believed in his training methods and the way of racing. And that's what he really loved to see. And to see individuals improve. You know, to watch Cindy get second that day from where she had started. You know, he just loved watching that. Just individuals getting better. And the next year, in the mud, they, you know, win another title to see those girls just turn it around with that, you know, to have that experience and go again. It was, that was such an exciting day to watch them win that title, to watch other people experience that. That was, I loved it to watch them win that. Transitioning into, you know, Jack's influence on you, you're the third coach or you're the third uh, woman we've interviewed who's going on coaching mm -hmm. you know how much of an impact has Jack had on your coaching and how much of an impact did he have on you getting into coaching I knew I wanted watching my father coach I knew I wanted to be that was the one thing I knew I wanted to do I'm um, just watching my own father just influence the lives of so many people um, I couldn't wait to be a coach and then learning so many incredible training methods from Jack it was just an amazing combination um, and I you know right from the get-go I just couldn't wait to coach um, and I, you know, I use what I learned from both of them every single day as a physical education teacher and a coach. I am using what I learned from, you know, Jack and my father every single day. I'm never really sure how to wrap up these interviews because this is such like a, a profound time in all of your lives. You accomplish so much. Um, and I just keep wondering why, why Cortland? Like, why did it happen there? A bunch of local women. <laughs> um, obviously a great coach, but not a tremendous amount of, you know, recruited talent. Um, you know, what, what would your answer be to that if someone asked you, why did this happen at Cortland and not somewhere else? I think I remember reading an article once. I think I found it online when I was searching for something. And someone had written that Jack had turned a bunch of mediocre runners into national champions. <laughs> And it kind of made me laugh, but that's what happens when you have research training methods. I mean, he studied the human body, you know, while it is running. 
and to figure out what is the best way to train it. And, you know, I, like I've said before, I've told athletes all of the time, if you believe in this, it will turn you into an efficient racing machine. And that's just what it did. It's just training your body to just become an efficient racer. And that's it. That's, I always told the teams I've coached, I call it the magic. So you got to believe in the magic. And because that's almost what it feels like. You can feel it working when you're doing the workouts properly. And then you just feel it on race day, what it's doing to you. It just, it's incredible. So it's those research training methods and just a group of women who are willing to believe in it and follow it and encourage each other every single day. It was such a self-motivating environment. You know, we always encouraged and supported one another and we still do every single day. And that's what it is. It's the magic. You got to believe in the magic. You got to believe in the magic, you know, kind of wrapping things up here to, to close, you know, what would be your final thoughts or impact that you got from being a student athlete at Cortland during your time? Oh goodness. I just learned so much about myself and uh, learned so much from Jack and, you know, as a physical education teacher and coach, you know, I, like I said, I use what I was taught every single day. And I think what, what's really special I think this is really incredible and I think it's really special to Jack too, how many of us are coaching and spreading that knowledge to so many others. I mean, just, Jack, you know, Steve's right at Cortland right now and Michelle probably even uses it Lafleur with her, you know, some of her clients and patients and Michelle Franklin is coaching and Vicki is coaching. Scotty Weeks, David Bradshaw, Aaron Dynan's coaching at Ithaca. My, you know, Michelle Franklin's daughter is doing incredibly well right now. It's one of the best runners in the nation. So does he, so many of his athletes, you know, spreading what they have learned, all the knowledge that he taught us to so many other people. My daughter Cameron is about to begin her running career at Damon College, where Judy Arlington is going to be Cameron's coach. So to send my daughter off to another Cortland trained, you know, coach is, you know, such a great thing. And I'm so happy that she gets to run for Judy. So I think that's something that's really special, not only what we were able to do while we were there, but that we're sharing that knowledge with so many other people and to watch the success that those individuals have as well. Julie, thank you so much. I think we'll, we'll call it there. Okay. We really appreciate you sharing um, all those stories and your knowledge with us. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing it with, uh, with other people ourselves. Awesome, thank you guys so much. All right, welcome back to the next part of episode three. Today, we're joined with Cindy Lozon. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, we're super excited to get this started and, and learn more about your side of history and what you remembered and, and your experience. But, you know, as we're talking off, off mic here, you know, you had a little bit of an interesting story getting to Cortland. So before you got to Cortland, let's talk about maybe your high school recruiting process, where you ended up, and then eventually how you got to Cortland. Okay, sure. Um, I would say for high school recruiting, um, I would say the only real coach that did recruit me was the coach at St. Lawrence. Um, his name is Mike Howard. Um, at that point in time, he was friends with my high school coach. So it wasn't too far away from home, about 45 minutes from where I grew up. So I thought that would be a good place for me to start. Um, I did actually have two choices in mind for college. It was uh, St. Lawrence and Cortland, but 
I did choose St. Lawrence just because of the uh, convenience of being close to home and knowing that I would make their team. So that's kind of that's kind of the gist of where I started with high school and uh, college. But um, while I was at St. Lawrence, uh, it was a great experience. But I kind of felt like I was still running in my high school days of um, you know running with the boys because there was kind of not much of a challenge with the girl side of things. So um, I was the first girl at St. Lawrence to qualify for nationals uh, with their cross country programs. So um, I had already been in touch with a lot of the team from Cortland or that I knew of them when I went to nationals at Lehigh. And they had, you know, fortunately for them, they won that year. Um, I didn't have the race of a lifetime at all, but um, I did get to talk with them after. And, you know, then the plans kind of were in place for me to transfer there in, in that January. So I was at St. Lawrence for the first semester and then transferred. Do you remember your uh, early conversations with Jack Daniels? Uh, they, I, I think my early conversations with him, um, I think I want to say it was like one of the girls on the team introduced me to him because we had a mutual friend that was at Cortland. Um, and it was very simple. Um, he, you know, greeted me with hi and the usual welcomes and that he'd be happy. He's, you know, probably like coaxed me after having the bad race, even though I wasn't his coach. <laughs> um, but he, uh, or he wasn't my coach at the time, but he, you know, said that he'd welcome me at Cortland if that was going to be the choice for me at that point. But he was, you know, very nice, um, laid back and let me make that choice for myself. You mentioned you keep saying bad race. As a freshman, you were 58th in the nation. I think a lot of freshmen would be happy with that type of finish. What was your high school PRs? Did your high school PRs make you feel like that was a bad race then? I would say my high school PRs uh, were not very stellar when I'm comparing them to the girls that I ran with at Cortland. That's why I'm kind of shocked to be invited to do this interview because I, I feel like I was a different level than the girls that were before me and even a few that were after me. But, you know, PRs, it was probably like, you know, 450 and a 1500. Um, nothing real great. I mean, uh, the 3000, I think Heather Swartz would always laugh um, with the times that I ran in high school because we talked about states and stuff. And yeah, it was not real great. Like 1038 was probably it for the 3000 in high school. Um, I, I guess I relate it to the bad race being I was inexperienced with what to do in a big race like that at nationals. I've listened to, I told you, I listened to all the podcasts earlier just to kind of get a preview and, you know, they had it right. They had it right to go out easy on that course and kind of, you know, pick off everybody as the race went, went on. If you, if you were, if you ever had the details of that race, you would probably have heard my name at the mile mark. So I was one of those ones that, you know, didn't really know what I was doing, but you know what, I was going to give it my all. Well, my all lasted about a mile. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying is like, it wasn't a great race. Like I knew I should have been in the top 25. It, it just, you know, I, I just didn't have that, um, that experience to know what to do and what not to do. And it was more of an excitement thing of I'm here, let's do it. And had I had a little bit of coaxing or, whatever, just some knowledge of this is how it needs to go out or this is what you can expect. Um, it probably would have been different. That's why I said it was bad. <laughs> so you didn't have a well-executed race, but you had to have been pretty happy with your progression from when you graduated high school to, you know, through your first collegiate cross-country season. Yeah, I mean, I would say high school, I wasn't really, I mean, 
I had my sister as my coach um, and it wasn't really, you know, I had a couple of sisters on the team. It wasn't really, I, I didn't max out the miles. I didn't, I did what I had to do to be the top dog on our team, I guess, in high school, which wasn't really much. We were in section 10 in New York, which, you know, I'm learning now as I'm in section three and back up in section 10 now. It's really not, you know, it's not like the rest of the state, I don't think, but um, I was good enough for where I was and I knew I wanted to run in college. I just didn't know. I didn't, I, I wasn't really tapped into. So yeah, I was pretty impressed with the first year of, you know, the freshman year, but um, lots of transition, especially with moving to Cortland. And, um, you know, I think that summer between freshman year and sophomore year, I really started to hone in on, you know, what it was I wanted to do with running. How far was uh, Cortland from where you grew up? It was about four hours. Four hours. So pretty close. And that, that seems to be another theme is the Cortland team was a lot of homegrown talent. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I guess when I got there, it really did feel like a family. Um, you know, I had Heather and Heidi there. Uh, we had all similar growing up experiences. I grew up on a dairy farm as well. And we, I had a lot of siblings and so did they. Um, <laughs> they don't all have red hair in my family, though. But, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I met some great people. Uh, I really thought I was walking into like two, maybe three families, because I thought the Donnellys were probably sisters too. You had Dorothy and Julie, but I learned that that wasn't the case. They were just good friends. But uh, then I had Michelle LaFleur, someone I remember as well. So it was, they were all welcoming. Um, it was great. It was just like, they're finally, like I was learning. I was finally learning how to run, <laughs> learning how to experience it and learning how to race. With everyone being from, you know, similar backgrounds and, and being in New York, did you know about them as you were in high school or what was the main attraction to transferring to Cortland? <laughs> I'm not sure I can answer that here, Stu. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't actually follow running. Um, I'm not one of the, I, I wouldn't consider myself one of those runner nerds or runner geeks that's going to, you know, research it all. I just kind of like, I was in the moment. It was fun. I was decent at it. So that's why I did it. I didn't really know of any of them, you know, through, you know, state championships or anything. I think I learned later on that they had very, like, you know, Julie was a state champion in high school. Um, I know Heather and Heidi did well too. So it's, I didn't learn of them till I was there running with them. So those would be a lot of the stories that we'd share while, you know, running or you're traveling to an event or rooming for the weekend or something. I mean, we had a lot to talk about, so we had a lot of miles to put in. But as far as going to Cortland, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave that one alone, Stu, for right now. <laughs> like, it wasn't, like, I knew Jack. I knew of Jack. I had an older sister that went there. Um, she's probably, like, 10 years older than me. She studied health education there, and I just, I knew, like, my two choices, honestly, at that time were St. Lawrence or Cortland, and St. Lawrence was okay, but I saw what, what Cortland could be, and I, I wanted to take that, that challenge. So you went from not being a running nerd to now being a major star on a very niche running podcast. Well, hey, I, I mean, that's what I said. I said, I don't feel like I belong in this podcast, but I guess if you want to hear my side of things. Well, no, we, we definitely do. I just, I just think that's, this is about as running nerd of a podcast as you, as you could hope to be on. Well, I'm, I'm glad I can be in that community now because it's, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been a wild ride, but I just don't see myself getting into it as much as some. I mean, I'm, I mean, even my teammates, you know, whether you, I know you've talked to a lot of them, 
Um, but they would tell you, I, I wasn't really all that into it. I'm sure if you talk with Jack, I mean, I was into it enough, but it was more about the challenge and just being better at something. Do you think that mindset helped you not to put too much pressure on yourself? Um, I think a lot of athletes actually really thrive in that mindset where they, they don't get too worked up about what's going on around them. Yeah, I think it definitely, you know, it definitely helped. Um, I, I think that's the same mindset I carry with me throughout, you know, my career right now. Um, it's just, you know, you, you take on the challenges and you get through it um, somehow, however you got to do that. And, and let's face it, nobody really likes to fail at anything. So you set a goal and, and you work hard and do what you can to get as close to it as possible. How did your teammates react, or I guess, and Jack react to you, quote unquote, not really being in it? I was in it enough, I would say, to want to do well, to want to help the team. Um, I, I think I was 100% committed to whatever we were trying to do. I just wasn't one that was going to go research it. I, I wasn't one that was going to, uh, how was I going to say it, um, alter my social life <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, but again, my teammates will understand what I'm trying to say, I guess. But you know, I look back and think, what if I would have done things differently? Would I have been more successful? And I don't really know that answer because I wouldn't have had as much fun. And for me, sometimes fun is like, you know, in winning, as Michelle LaFleur said, winning is fun too, but I, I had fun throughout all of college. And, and that's what my takeaway was. And we actually did win things, even though I was still having fun. Do you think that meshed well with uh, Jack's coaching style? From what we know about him, it seems like he was relatively laid back and never put a whole lot of pressure on you guys. But behind the scenes, he was obviously always plotting and scheming. But in person, it seems like he was a pretty relaxed coach. I don't think it really meshed well, no, with uh, what, he, what he wanted us to do. But I do know it was, I, I remember my senior year, I finally turned 21 in September. So that was a... Yeah, that, that race, the, the weekend after I turned 21, I remember he pulled me aside and said, okay, now that you got that out of your system, we need to focus on the season. <laughs> so, I mean, so. I, I had a very similar experience. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of like direct to the point and subtle about it all at the same time. And it was like, okay, yeah, if, if we want to do something here, I need to shift because people are going to look up to me to be a leader as a senior. You embody the full D3 balanced experience is what it sounds like. <laughs> yes. Good Let's, way to put it, Stu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on then to your, you know, that first track season then at Cortland. It seems like the transition was relatively smooth as you, you know, you had conversations with the women beforehand, but what was it like being a part of the team that first season on campus? Uh, I would say the first season was a, a really big transition, um, kind of like, I, I know I listened to Heather and Heidi earlier, but their experiences as well, like, I did not have indoor track in high school. So when I went to Cortland, it, that was a whole new thing. Like, you know, I, I think I'd rather have tried out for the basketball team, but you know, the running gave me an opportunity to get to, to know everyone, like on the guys team and the girls team, and just to kind of learn, you know, learn how, you know, Jack's style was. You know, I was always used to like, here's practice time. This is when you need to show up, you know, four o'clock is practice time, four or five, you're late kind of thing. And it was very different. Like, I, I remember it was kind of like you showed up and the workouts are posted and Jack could be there, could be somewhere else. He could be working with some other people. Didn't care if you checked in, it was kind of all on you. You know, it was very different, but uh, it was a good transition. It was a, it was a transition time where 
I didn't necessarily, you know, I got to learn, like I said, with the teammates and stuff, but it, I was able to take my time with what I really wanted to do. I didn't have any goals for indoor track, so I'd never run it before. It was kind of just experience it, go with the flow. Don't believe that year. I don't think I qualified for nationals or anything. I kind of just took it all in and worked on what I thought I needed to work on, just getting acclimated to Cortland. I mean, you acclimated pretty pretty well. It seems like, you know, going into 95, the team is coming off a championship, obviously hoping to win another one. How did you fit in to the cross-country lineup coming in your sophomore year? I, I would say for me, that was the challenge. And I think I fit in right where they needed someone. Um, you know, I think we all felt that pressure of you have five people that score and this isn't really going to come down to that. Um, and I was Fortunately, that fifth person, it could have fluctuated throughout the season, whether it's four or five, but I I knew going into that race that, you know, I had to really, it wasn't a day for a bad race. (laughs) Not that we planned those, but the team was counting on me. And I think that weighed more heavy than what I really wanted to do personally. But I also knew I didn't want to run, have a repeat of my freshman year. So I did a lot of learning that season. Um, I remember Jack, actually, we went to a race. I think it was at Buff State or somewhere. And, you know, he made, he made Heather, Heidi and everyone else run with me in the race. Like, he was like, no, you guys are all staying with, with Cindy and she's not to pass you throughout the whole race. You guys have to stay with her. Um, and I remember like, cause he wanted me to learn how to actually race. I, I always would go out hard and, you know, crash and burn, but he needed me to learn that it was actually easier to go about it the way he was, he wanted us to do things and who better to learn from or how better to learn from than a race that doesn't matter with girls that knew how to race, like how he wanted us to. So that was the hardest race because, again, I went out like I normally would, and the girls were kind of like, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. And we ended up getting beat by one girl from Geneseo, and they were not happy about that. But that was my learning of how to, how to race, come from behind, or go out, go out easy and, you know, pick it up because my way obviously wasn't working with the Cortland style. So. That race, did that help you then the rest of the season or was it still kind of a learning curve from coming Oh, from- it definitely helped me because I remember at the point where I realized I went out too hard, they were still pushing the pace because they were ready to go. And uh, it, it, was a hard, it was a hard race and they were talking to me the whole time. And, you know, I learned from it. And I think the only way I would have been able to do what he was asking of us to do or of me to do at the time was to go through all that with them and, you know, workouts just the workouts aren't the same as races so when you're actually racing it's you know you hate to learn during that time but that's what it was going to take for me and yeah I've, I definitely learned from it and I think the rest of my career there you could see how not necessarily that one race but I kept learning from that but it definitely made an impact on what I was able to do there later we have the benefit of looking in hindsight and so that 95 season your sophomore year ends up being the fourth and of the four peat that happened, you know, from your perspective, being a transfer student coming in with your first cross country season, you know, what did you feel like the expectations were? And did you feel some sort of pressure to ensure that there'd be a four peat? Um, I actually didn't feel any of that pressure in regards to a four peat or whatever. I knew that there was girls on the team that had those experiences. And, you know, I think in their minds, they were ready to repeat. So they knew what it took. For me, it was do my part on the team, um, run a good race, always improve throughout the season. And, and at nationals, like really, that's where you need to perform. I don't think I looked at it any other way besides 
I didn't want a repeat of my freshman year. And now that I was part of a team, it was bigger than me. So, you know, putting it all out there, um, doing what I could do and hoping that was going to be enough for, you know, the other girls to have a, a solid, solid performance in a, a national championship. Because I think for them, and, and part of me too, is for them, that was a, a huge accomplishment with a, a 4 P. I mean, I think you mentioned it in an earlier podcast. I don't know many teams that have done that. So um, that was a huge thing for them. I think my mind, I, with my whole career, I was kicking myself for not just starting right at Cortland to begin with, because then I could have been one of, you know, the three people that I could have had three of them <laughs> instead of just two championships, but. Just two championships. So that, <laughs> that must be so hard for you. Well, well, it is hard in a sense when you've got teammates that were like four, three, and I'm like, well, okay, I did two. And, yeah. A measly two championships, <laughs> only at Cortland. Yeah. But that sophomore year, you finished 31st overall individually, and that, that was your first All-American award, correct? Yeah, because I think at that time they, they moved it back, right, to, from 25 to 35, I think. Know, something ridiculous. So I still wasn't happy about that because I felt like, you know, I needed top 25 because that was the standard when I didn't get it as a freshman. <laughs> so, so did you allow yourself any, any sense of accomplishment from the 31st place? I, I think I was more so happy as a team. Um, I, I knew it meant a lot for the veteran teammates I had. It meant a lot to them. Um, for me, it was kind of like, okay, now this is what it's like to win as a team. This is great. But now I've got a, I, I wanted it all. I wanted to do well as an individual and when as a team, which in my career never really happened. But, you know, I got bits and pieces of all of it. So I guess that's what I took away with from the college experience. Do you feel like that national title in 95 justified your, your move from St. Lawrence to Cortland? Um, I, I would say with the team championship, I would say yes. Um, individually, not so much. Um, like I said, I don't feel like I, like you look at 31st and yeah, it's better than whatever it was as a freshman, 58. But I don't know. I think everyone wants to do better. And I think that's where I was. But I knew there was still growing. You know, I had lots of room to grow. Uh, I wasn't tapped out by any means. Um, and I just knew at that point, you know, the following summer that I would have to, you know, that's when the real training begins. So for the following season. So I just knew I had to, you know, dig deeper and figure out some other things and, you know, work with Jack on those things. So 96 is the first cross-country season where Cortland shows a, a chink in its armor. I mean, they they'd finished second one year to, uh, to Oshkosh, but 96 was a year that it, it was uncharacteristically bad year for Cortland. Um, <laughs> going into that season, was anything noticeably different? Um, I think that was when, if I remember correctly, going into that season, I believe Julie and I were pulled aside at a practice early on from Jack to let us know that he was going to be leaving for that year. So that was kind of a, a shift that we all had to undertake, or her and I had to kind of get, get our team through that. But other than that, I mean, I don't, like, it's so crazy listening to those earlier podcasts, because they were so put together. Um, and I feel like, you know, they said it best, like we were running out of like the arsenal in our in our bag of tricks here and knowing as transferred in there pretty much as a sophomore or a sophomore for cross country anyway. Um, it was kind of like, wow, it was like 
Julie and I and any random grad student or a transfer that we kind of had to piece together. Um, luckily, we had other girls join us, you know, Mickey Kelly, um, Jen Bozik, and Teresa Trudell was another one that joined us. Liz Carl, she came from Saratoga. But I mean, we were kind of just like all over the place, nothing real solid. Like that first grouping, when I was listening to the first podcast, they were, they were solid. Like they may not have had like, you know, I think it was Tammy said she wasn't even a runner, but I mean, she had athleticism, like she had some skill that you can't just jump in and do the times that she was doing. And then, you know, you got the whole Swartz family coming in on the next regime and that's, that's solid. And then it was kind of like, okay, how do we pull this together? And we didn't, we weren't really sure if we could. I don't think, you know, I don't think in my time there, Jack ever expressed like that we had to win nationals. That was never a thing. I think we always put that on ourselves. And I know Sunyax was like, never, that was never a thing that we strove. Like that wasn't a goal for us. That was just a given, you know, and I think that year of 96, we were kind of like, we're not sure, like we're going to get there. We'll know we'll get Sunyax, but like, I'm not sure where we're going next, but I mean, we pulled together and, you know, that was happened to be the, the best year of college I had as far as running, which is ironic because Jack wasn't there. I think it was probably because I couldn't weasel my way out of things like workouts and stuff because he'd send them to me on paper and you can't really, can't really go against what's on the paper. You just had to do it. But yeah, that was my best year there. And that's where I'll tell you, I, I ran great at nationals and the team didn't win. So I still wasn't happy. <laughs> so Yeah, you mentioned in an earlier answer that you know, your goal was always to run well as an individual and a team. And that never quite happened. I would argue that that kind of happened the next year. But a, a fifth overall in 96 is a pretty incredible result for a 1030 high school 3K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, I, like I said, that year was just, I don't know. It was, it was great. Like, whether it was cross country, like I said, indoor was never my thing. I'd always make it to nationals and it was just kind of like there, but then outdoor that year was, it was good. I felt very confident with all the races I had. I mean, I ran like 1730s and prelims of 5Ks just because I wanted to have some fun with the people that were out there. <laughs> you know, just, it was fun. And I did well in the five and 10K in that spring um, with all Americans in those, but uh, just, it was a great year. And I was kind of hoping for the same as, uh, you know, going into senior year. What was that feeling of you're happy as an individual, but then you, the team doesn't happen. Like, whereas I know we talked with Julie a little bit and there was this sense of like, Hey, we gave it our all and this was still good, but it's not a win that Cortland expects. So, you know, individually you're probably happy with fifth, but what was the team feeling like after, after the race was over? I think from my perspective, I think kind of Julie was right. We, we did give it our all and, and it just, you know, we fell short and it felt like maybe we let all the people down before us. I mean, cause they, they had done such incredible things and unfortunately they made it seem easy, but you know, we got there and as the leaders, we, we did, we gave it our all and we just, we didn't, we didn't have it. I think that was really the takeaway from that. And, I felt personally, like I said, I, I, I did okay. I did my best. And I feel like, you know, you can't predict who's going to have a good race, bad race or whatever. And, and we can't blame it on like whether the coach was there or wasn't there or, you know, we, we all have to take ownership on that. And I think for the most part we did. And I think in that sense with the team falling short, you know, I think Julie was the leader in that, in that realm to kind of pull us together to say we couldn't, 
there wasn't anything else we could have done differently. Like this was just how it was supposed to be. You know, I, I wasn't going to be happy with that, but I had to go along with that. And, you know, you know, I, I wanted all of it at, at the same time. And, you know, that's why she was, uh, you know, my best friend and running partner going through college. She, she helped me with the things that I couldn't get past myself, I guess. <laughs> was Jack at the national meet? I believe he was, he was there in person, but he wasn't there. Um, you know, coaching us all season. It was, I think, I believe if I recall, he was there um, to watch. I think Heather and Heidi might've been there as well, but yeah. Yeah. He was there. I don't know how much more to say on that one. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't remember any interactions with him or anything after the race? No, no. Just the trench coat and the cowboy hat. <laughs> I, I love that image of Jack, by the way, that I, I love the trench coat. And then at some point somebody told us that he was getting so many people coming up to him at meets that he would walk around with headphones that weren't plugged into anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was listening. That was Heidi. I was listening to her earlier cracking up because I was like the things that she brought up is I would expect her interview to be really quiet, but she was bringing up some really funny things. Um, yeah. He was, a, he was an interesting character. Great guy. What's your favorite story about Jack? I'm not sure that one can be said on here either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I would say I can bring you this one. Um, you know, I transferred there from, from St. Lawrence and we were at a track meet at SUNY Albany and I had a one year older sister was running there with her school as well. Um, I probably a similar story to Tammy was told I was going to run the 10k and I was like, you know, it didn't really bother me. I felt like whatever. I mean, I'll do that. But it was more or less, I was going to joke around with anything that he threw at me because I just didn't know. I didn't know any different. You know, so I go out there and, and I'm running it. And I already had made a deal with like somebody's parents or something. I was going to do a, a cartwheel at the 5K mark just to, you know, bring some, I wanted to see what reaction he would give me or <laughs> not give me at the end. <laughs> and so like, yeah, so we're going through and at like, you know, the halfway point of that 10K, I whip off a cartwheel at, you know halfway mark on the track and everyone's like oh my god so I finished the race and he said that was impressive now you're a 10k runner I'm like oh that's not good <laughs> so I, I earned that spot but you know and, and another thing with the St. Lawrence coach is I guess I overheard a conversation with them that pretty much you know Jack was trying to have a conversation with the coach to say you know how does Cindy operate what does she do you know what what really gets her to go Jack's a scientist. He's a researcher. And I was always that runner that he could just never figure out because if he said I couldn't do something, then I would do my best to prove him wrong. You know, and if he set the standard high, I would try like hell to get it. But, you know, and I remember that conversation with the St. Lawrence coach, which is, I don't know, he was, I didn't have her here long enough to try to figure her out. But he goes, if you can, then, you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> so that was a funny and I mean, your St. Lawrence coach was right. I mean, you had a super successful career and improved. Going into '97, you're coming off the best year of your career. What was your what was your headspace like going into that cross country season in '97? You obviously want to avenge the the eighth place finish from the team the year before, but also as a returning, you know, fifth place overall, you had to be thinking that it might be your time to win a championship. That's funny. You know, I don't think I ever thought in my mind ever I would ever win any championships. That's 
I just wanted to always do better. So if I was fifth the year before, I was thinking, you know, break the top five or at least get top five. Um, and I think I went into the 97 season more or less like trying to figure out where we stood as a group, as a team to try to, you know, just to get people at practice, to move them along, to get them to set their own goals. And just, it was almost like starting from scratch because there was lots of pieces that we had to pull together. So I think my focus was more so the team because I already knew in my mind or body, I was set for whatever was going to come my way. Um, I think I spent, you know, a great deal of time just making sure that we had our ducks in a row with everyone else, you know, whether they're healthy, uh, participating, uh, are they at practice? Are they doing the workouts? Are they, you know, just not like a motherly instinct, because that's not me at all, but just making sure we're, we were ready to go as a team because we did fall short the year before. You come across as someone who maybe a little bit intense in terms of wanting to do well. And so as Noah alluded to, you know, you had a great year, you were fifth and then you were a two-time All-American, as you mentioned in track and the five and 10K, you know, so how motivated were you to ensure that you guys got back on top uh, during cross country that year? You know, as a team, I think I was as motivated as anyone could be in regards to getting back on top or at least putting our team in a better place finish than we were the year before. Um, I didn't really want to be like, you know, we joked earlier before we got this recording going that I, you guys are terming it the fall of the empire, the fall of the dynasty. <laughs> but I'm like, well, we were trying to piece everything together, but it was kind of like, you know, it's like you can see it crumbling, but how, how do you pull it together? And yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know about, in, I, I guess you could say I'm intense in regards to that, but I kind of wanted everyone to be, you know, as intense as I wanted as I was, you know, I wanted everyone to be like going for the gold because, you know, that's how I feel a team works. And I think the years before me at Portland, like they all just had it intrinsically that they were just, they're going to do well. And I think as time went on, you know, when I was in my last year there, it was kind of, it was very hard to find that. It was hard to find the, the intrinsic motivation um, just within teammates uh, I mean we all got along as a team but you know we had various levels of runners that you know some were just happy to be out there so it was very it was very different so to get the competitive edge it was I don't know how you get that out of people if it's just not there so I guess I learned that but um, never did I not try to you know get the team cohesive and ready to go and I think in the end we all did our best as I mean that was kind of a joke too in, in 97 when we did win at nationals because I think, you know, Jack was back that year, but he had us doing some crazy treadmill training too, to get ready for some hill that he said was at Franklin park, whatever there was a Franklin park in Boston, that, that course that probably had like one little hill and I, we couldn't figure it out. But um, anyway, with that though, it was, you know, the joke of the, the time period was, you know, Jack had the record with the lowest score, right. With nationals. And he also, with us, had the record of the highest score to win nationals. So, I mean, that was how that happened. I mean, we, uh, we scored 148 points and still won nationals. He was like, I, I don't even know how that, how that even happened. <laughs> so, I, I guess in my mind, the whole country must have been weak in 97. <laughs> yeah, I mean, lo looking at the results in 97, but then looking at the individual score sheet, it takes you a minute to realize how it happened because – there, there weren't many like super low sticks for you guys. <laughs> no. And that's where, you know, and that was the joke. Like, I don't think 
like we couldn't believe it, but I don't, I mean, I think he said there could have been a chance we could win, but it would be like a very slim chance. And I remember he was even like, you know, to go on the stage to get the, the trophy or whatever. And it was like, we can't even believe it because it, it was ecstatic because we just never in a million years would we think we'd be the ones up there. I mean, it's ironic, I guess. <laughs> I think one of the goals of our series has been trying to kind of explore the psychology of athletes who are, who are getting into, you know, the dynasty building process. They're, they're winning, they're getting used to winning for the first time. And then the second episode, those women knew nothing but winning. And then now in this episode, you're still winning championships, but you're kind of doing it the hard way. Like you, you carry the burden of a dynasty that's already built and you're just trying to hold it together as long as possible, however you can. W would you kind of agree with that sentiment? Yeah, no, I definitely would. Because that's exactly, I, you know, I'm listening to the podcast this morning and whatever else. And I'm like, wow, like they, you know, but it's also a different shift in time, I feel like with the work ethic of, you know, even kids today. I mean, it's, it's all way different. Uh, but I definitely agree with what you said. It was, you know, you know, I look back and think if I would have been to Cortland as a freshman, would I have had the same experience, at, you know, for cross country? And I'm not so sure because I don't know if I would have broken the top seven. And if I didn't, I, you know, you could have easily seen me. I mean, I don't think I would have quit. I, I could see myself like not really being still in it. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely that shift. And today, I don't know, like, I don't, I stayed in touch with the team probably for a couple of years after I had graduated just because, you know, you wanted to see where they would go with it. And then I think probably like all the rest of the people in the years before me, they follow it for a few years and then it's kind of like, okay, they didn't follow it anymore. But so I really don't know since then, like if they've done anything great, but I feel like now if I talk to people from there, it's like they're amped up to, you know, win SUNYX. And I'm just like, this such a different era because we, that was like a practice race. <laughs> so, so weird, but. Putting the SUNYX on blast right there. I want to follow up on something you said um, a few minutes ago about kind of the shift on the team where it went from wanting to win championships to you having women on the team who were just happy to be there. What do you think caused that shift in mentality with the women on the team? I don't, that's a good question. I don't really know how to answer that. Um, I think everyone was there to, you know, get better. And I don't know, I, I think maybe there wasn't much recruiting that had to be done prior to any of the classes that, you know, on, on the, the fall of the dynasty. Um, there wasn't probably a lot of recruiting that had to be done um, because like you guys mentioned earlier, we had some transfer people. I had, I think I had Michelle Franklin as a grad student. Heidi Schwartz was there uh, an extra year. He had a lot of different things going on where like you look back now and there was always like a, a wild card that we probably had to make that happen. Or you had somebody that you were recruiting to come in, but, and I think maybe Heather or somebody alluded to it earlier too, where, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get decent recruits to come to Cortland because of, because of the, the reputation as far as the, the success they've had and maybe they couldn't fit in. So I, I think there probably was a lag in what, what or who was coming to Cortland at that time. When you guys won that championship in 97, 
you know, walking away from that, was there a piece of you that was like, okay, that's probably going to be the last one that Cortland wins for a while? Wow. Um, I, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Um, I was thinking, wow, I can't believe we won. Um, <laughs> uh, and then walking away from it, I didn't think, I, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be the last one for a while because he did have like one or two decent athletes that were still going to be returning. Um, I was kind of in the mindset that they could, you know, hold the glue together like some of us had to do in the couple years before that. So I don't know. I guess maybe I looked at it and said, there, I did my job. And now it's going to be somebody else's turn. <laughs> I guess a bigger question we're, we've also been looking for is why did this happen at Cortland? Obviously, there are certain pieces in place that made it happen. Then you add Jack Daniels to the mix. But in your mind, why do you think this happened at Cortland? I didn't know a lot of the, the women that were talking in like the first podcast. Well, I, I knew Vicky and that's because she came back and would, you know, chat with us and stuff. But I think at Cortland, I think one of them said it, said it well, like Jack was out West for a while. He did a lot of research. Um, maybe was sick of the D1 atmosphere, uh, came to Cortland. And I think it happened at Cortland because he was there. I mean, I, I don't know why he would choose Cortland, but um, he chose there and, and that's where I think it all happened. There was a couple of people that were already there that were decent runners before um, he was even there. Uh, and I think he just kind of tapped into that. But I think people also gravitated toward him, maybe because they knew of him or wanted to know of him or know him. But I think he made it easy to go there and run for him. I, I can't even explain that experience because like you're proving yourself to yourself, but you also have a coach that you want to please. And if you got one word response from him or just a, a random comment, it was like, that was, okay, you did it. That was enough. But I don't know why Cortland. I, I mean, I guess I could pick wherever, wherever he would have landed. I think it would have happened. I just think he draws people in. I think he's very, he's very humble. He's very, like, a great guy to be around. And there's no, like, there's no pressure with him besides the pressure that you're putting on yourself to, to do well. How did your time running in college affect your life after leaving Cortland? Um, I think after leaving Cortland, I did run for a while. Um, I ventured out to experience with a, a different coach at the time. And it was like the summer of 98 or whatever. I thought I had big aspirations to do marathon running, um, you know, Olympic trials kind of stuff. And I did okay until um, I, I moved out to California and that September, but uh, I did okay until I went to a race and Vicki Mitchell was there. Um, it was a half marathon. It was kind of like my time trial and, you know, we're there and it was fun to see her, but then I realized she was doing a temple run and I was like racing. <laughs> okay. So I ran it in an hour and 18 minutes and she was finished ahead of me. And I'm like, okay, I guess I got to reevaluate because this goal probably isn't happening. Cause I mean, if she's just doing a temple run, and I'm like all out at 118. I don't know if Olympic trials is in my future right now. So I need to like, you know, tone it back. But, you know, I still, I took a break after that, after a while, um, came back and ended up coaching a boys track team at my old high school, um, where then I, I coached a, a, one of the girls to actually be, get the high school record that I had. So she ended up having like, she ran faster than I did. So that was pretty cool. And then went to space and all that. But I don't know. Now I'm just kind of running and doing things with, I have seven sisters. So we kind of go around and 
join races and call ourselves the Wonder Woman. And, um, you know, whether it's a Ragnar or a Peak Taboo Relay or something fun and crazy and exciting, they all know that I don't take it serious anymore. Like, I don't like that pressure of having to run fast. If I have to run fast, I can, but I want things to be enjoyable. And right now, just doing them is actually more enjoyable than killing myself to win them, I guess. That's what I do now. So I, I would say all of that experience has shaped, like the whole Cortland experience shaped everything of where I am today. How much of an impact has Jack had on your coaching? I think he has a lot. Like any any athletes that I have coached, um, you know, I, I bring the same kind of perspective that he had in regards to the visa and all this, all the training with tempo runs. And I think I incorporate a little bit more of the, cross training just because I know like there's other ways to get to where you're going. Um, but in a sense, it's really, you know, I've seen it where girls have trained too much because thinking more is better. Um, and then I've seen it in Jack's style, like, you know, just the quality over quantity sometimes is, is better. I think working with athletes, it's, you kind of got to figure each one of them out individually because everyone is different, but I don't know. Like, I don't think as a coach, I could ever have the, I don't know what you call it, just the willingness of kids or athletes to want to be so good to, to show their coach that what they're doing is working. I think Jack had a lot of that. You know, we all wanted to impress Jack and make sure like, you know, we were trying our best. And I don't know as if I'd ever get that as a coach, but you know, I'm more of the supportive type, I guess. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on this episode. We've uh, really enjoyed hearing your insights and your experience. And uh, we're just really grateful that you spent some time with us today. I know. Thank you. And thank you for uh, putting this out there. Uh, I guess making me feel like a real hero or something, but no. (laughs) (laughs) You are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Reliving the glory days. Thank you. All right, we're back for the finale of the SUNY Cortland Dynasty Series. Today, we're joined by Mickey Kelly. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, we'll ask the same old question one last time to get this series wrapped up. How did you find yourself to Cortland? Well, um, I actually was kind of a late bloomer as far as uh, my running career and ran cross country uh, for the first and only time in my senior year in high school. And of course, Jack Daniels had recruited a a teammate of mine and he was like, hey, you should really look into Cortland. They have a pretty good uh, women's program. And then with a little further digging, I found out that um, Jack Daniels was also a modern pentathlete. And it just so happened that I wanted to be a modern pentathlete. And so it made a lot of sense for me to um, go to Cortland um, and to go be coached by, of course, uh, by Jack Daniels. And then, you know, I was very interested in the modern pentathlon part, but um, it was kind of uh, amazing to just find out what a phenomenal coach he was and what a successful program he had out of Cortland. Well, I have so many questions right off the bat. Um, (laughs) One... You know, one theme that, and a pretty cool theme we're noticing is a lot of Cortland's team are from the area, um, near Cortland. Nobody really traveled so far. Um, where did you grow up? How far away from Cortland? 
originally from out near Albany, so Chatham, New York. Um, so it's about three hours away, but yep, still in the state of New York and, and just a little uh, northeast of, of Albany. Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's something pretty special about this story is the team is pretty homegrown. There weren't many athletes on the team from any farther away than that. My second question, modern pentathlon, why? <laughs> <laughs> So my running career actually stemmed from this interest in, in the sport of modern pentathlon. So I started with riding horses um, and uh, within riding horses, they have pony club, which is very similar to 4-H um, and they have a feeder program uh, into modern pentathlon. And so I really started running to try to get fit for this feeder program called tetrathlon. And, and I really wanted to be a modern pentathlete. Uh, so that's how my real interest and, and um, my real running career took off was just trying to get fit to do this, this sport of modern pentathlon. Here in the modern pentathlon and knowing about Jack Daniels, I had no idea, you know, what it even was. So for you to have some background and some knowledge on that and then go to someone who's won a gold medal in it totally makes sense. But for when you, you know, got there and started running the team, you know, how was that transition to running cross country then? It sounds like you only had one year experience in high school. So how much of a learning curve did you have with cross country then? I definitely didn't have a lot of background, but I think it gave, um, it lended itself well to working with Jack, right? So I was kind of a blank slate. I hadn't had a lot of training. I hadn't done a lot of high mileage, um, all those things. So I was very open to his training plans and understanding how he trains athletes. Um, and also just, you know, able to go out there and he'd be like go run this workout and I'd be like okay <laughs> and I would go 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 run whatever workout um he put out there so for me it was a it was a pretty easy um transition into his program but what was I think the most astonishing because of course Jack didn't actually introduce me into modern pentathlon until about my junior year because he didn't want me to stray from the running program and from developing as a runner and so I'm actually quite thankful for that but it really the deeper understanding of Jack's program and to understand that you know while I'm out there doing my Tuesday Wednesday workouts um, for a race on Saturday, uh, he had a plan within a plan within a plan, right? So you had your weekly workouts that tied into your monthly workouts, tied into your season workouts, tied into really your four-year workouts. And as I learned that, and I don't think I understood that as a freshman under Jack Daniels, but um, as I worked through the years with him, um, that was utilizing my own training and understanding and, and all, all of this stuff. So, so as an athlete, I grew, but also just um, as a person and a professional understanding running and training and all of that, it was pretty phenomenal. I think a lot of our devoted listeners are going to hear, you know, about how you only ran one year in high school and then went to Cortland. And they're going to think back to a lot of our guests in episode one before Cortland started winning titles. Um, a lot of those women didn't have much experience, but just kind of found themselves on Jack's team, yada, yada, started winning championships. You didn't have much high school experience, but you were coming onto a team that had just won four championships in a row. Do you remember feeling intimidated at all? I do remember um, just 
you know, people obviously we're talking about division three and you talk about division three and you talk about, you know, coming in and being a big fish in a small pond. And that was completely the opposite of what happened in there. Right. And, and I didn't have huge expectations because I had only run one year, but it definitely was intimidating to, to try <laughs> to run with that phenomenal team and also to understand what they had, um, what they had just accomplished. So yeah, very intimidating. And to add on to that, 96, as we found out, was the year Jack went on sabbatical to Arizona. So you get recruited in, in a way, by Jack, and then he's gone. So what was that feeling of, oh, man, this guy, this legend isn't here for my first year? Right. And so we also weren't sure if or when he was coming back. And so there was a couple of us on the team – on the men's team too, a couple of freshmen that, that were just like, what do we do now? And of course that was, Jack Daniels was a very key element to my career. You know, it wasn't just Cortland, but I was trying to learn about pentathlon and, and go that route too. So um, that was pretty devastating actually. <laughs> I think for everybody, everybody on the team. Um, and again, we didn't know how long he would be gone or if he was coming back and so we were really unsure and uh, luckily he came right back and a lot of us you know stayed on and stayed on the team and, and didn't you know um leave Cortland. Were you competing in anything extracurricular of cross country um in regards to modern pentathlon or were you only pursuing running at this time? So I would do, I guess, really what would equate to cross training in, in the other sports. So uh, in my high school career, I was doing quite a bit of swimming um, and uh, fencing and horseback riding are, are two of the other sports and, and shooting being the fifth. So I did dabble in some of it, but, but really, um, as soon as I got to college, it was just a lot of, um, a lot of running. And, and I, did, I did do some supplemental swimming. I'm curious on your perspective with Jack being gone as a freshman. You know, we talked with Julie and Cindy and they were more senior leaders um, and they kind of felt this need to like bring the team together, you know, from your memory and understanding, you know, what was the team culture like and how did they lead you all when Jack wasn't there? They definitely did. Both of them um, take the lead with the team the memories that I have of cross country that freshman year, I got sick. So I ran horrible that year and you'll see in my results. And so I just remember being out there and, and they did, they really tried to kind of bring us together and, and get us together as a team. Um, and then I got sick there too. And it was just a, a huge challenge for them but they definitely were, were trying to, to pull us together. And they definitely, they too, I also remember, you know, kind of bringing us in and, and encouraging us that he was going to be back. And, you know, we knew what we were doing and stuff, um, but it was, a, it was an uphill challenge for sure. Yeah, I mean, no way around it. 96 would have been a disappointing year coming off the streak of championships that they had. Jack's gone. That feels a little weird. You got sick. You finished 110th at the national meet. But, you know, a silver lining is you and your second year of cross country even made the national squad at Cortland. Did you take some pride in that? 
Yeah, definitely. It was, and, and, you know, we came back that next year a, a lot stronger, right? We, there was, you know, Jack came back, but even still um, the team, the team kind of came back and, and had a renewed energy as we went into that, that my second year. I think a lot of times people, especially high achieving athletes are motivated more by losses. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Was there a sense of that when you got to campus in 1997 of like, hey, you know, it's time to write the ship. Like we've got to get after this. We're supposed to win championships. Absolutely. And, and that's, again, where, where the two team captains kind of came in and, and led us in that way, um, coming out of the freshman year and into the, my sophomore year, um, because right. I was a freshman. I didn't know the legacy. I'd heard it, but I didn't know it. And they were like, Hey, you know, <laughs> we need to get ourselves back on track here. Let's talk about your progression from your freshman year to your sophomore year. As Noah mentioned, you were 118th as a freshman. Where did this big jump come from? You know, did your training take a, take a positive turn or, you know, you mentioned you were sick. There's just all this potential that finally was unleashed, you know, take us through that progression. Yeah, so again, I think those hiccups, right, between Jack leaving, um, being a freshman, I'm sure I gained a bit of weight, <laughs> um, you know, some things like that that don't help being a fast runner. So moving into my second year, you know, just a little more comfortable in that regardless of what went on, I was, I was staying at Cortland and, and the team and the team camaraderie. And then, of course, Jack, uh, Jack being back and just starting to understand. So now I'm into my third year of running. So it was, um, I think, all those things combined. But really, and of course, I got to train with phenomenal athletes, right? So I'm, I'm new to cross country. I'm, I'm new to training. And I get Jack as a coach. And I get these other um, amazing females to run with, too. And I think it really, that combination um, kind of took me into my into my sophomore year. And I will say, too, um, throughout that year, like, I just I peaked right when Jack, it's like Jack said peak and I peaked, you know, like he, he had um, so much of that dialed in that it was, you know, my fastest time was at nationals and it was my best performance of the year. And, and that was a testament to him and his ability to, to coach us, you know, so well. So you're kind of a rookie member of this team, you know, in 96 and 97, We've, we've talked to some of the veterans who are around in those years, and, and they really communicated a sense of, you know, in 93 and 94, or whatever, like the wins came like pretty easy. They looked at the team and they were like, this team is loaded with talent. And then when you got to 95, 96, 97, there was more like, okay, there's talent here, but we've, we've kind of got to piece it together to win nationals. It, it seemed a little more tenuous um, in their eyes and like everything had to go right. Were you aware of that shift in perspective from them or were you just kind of along for the ride? It was apparent, but not so much from my understanding of, you know, the progression, more because the, the team that we had in the performance we had and the win that we had at that nationals. Right. I mean, it was, I think probably still like the highest score that someone has won by, um, you know, all of those things are what kind of made me understand that dynamic. So not so much um, fully understanding wh where they had been and, and, and how hard it was before, but 
and I think too, from my perspective and, and, you know, the veterans that I was around, it was more about, um, you know, there was so much pride in wearing the pink uniform, right? And, and what that meant. And, and so that was fully understood really by everyone on the team or trying to make the team, trying to, you know, make the national team and understanding that you know you were gonna you were gonna put it all out there when it came to nationals and and prideful of of that piece too yeah our, our listeners are familiar or should be familiar with the pink uniforms if you if you haven't seen them go to our instagram page or our website we've got some uh got some pictures on there um you know you mentioned what is probably the highest point total for a national championship and we've joked about that um prior on, on the podcast because Cortland also has the record for the lowest score um, to ever win <laughs> a national championship. And so, you know, a win is a win, but it's like, how did that win come about? Um, mm-hmm. can, can you kind of put us on the ground in 1997 at that national meet and kind of walk us through your own race a little bit? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and, and it was quite a bit, right, like of me kind of coming into my own as far as a collegiate um, athlete. And I knew, and, and Jack knew, you know, we had talked that I, I was ready to perform well. And then, of course, we were um, up in Massachusetts and it rained and it was muddy and it was an interesting, relatively hilly um, course. And so all, I guess all bets were off, right? Like the leaders may or may not be the leaders because they're not good with hilly, muddy runs. Um, it's like that in, in cross country, right? And in, in that dynamic of, of races. And so it happened to be the right time in the right place and the right conditions for me because I love mud and I love hills. And so for me, I, I really um, crushed that course and I think surprised myself and my teammates and and Jack with the performance, but but I will tell you that I have so much respect for all of the women on my team. But I have so much respect for Cindy, and and beating Cindy at that nationals was actually really tough. Um, you don't feel bad for ever placing the way that you did because it was a part of us being able to win. But um, you know th- that w- those weren't the perfect conditions for her. Um, and so she finished behind me and had always been, I, I don't think I'd ever beat her ever um, at that point, right? So it was, it was joyful um, and it was sad at the same time to, to pass you know, your, your teammate who you really, you really look up to. Yeah, Cindy finished uh, 16th, so she must have been just a few seconds back from you. Do you remember any interaction at the finish line? We, of course, um, kind of embraced at the end and stuff, but I just remember I was tearful because, you know, like she was like my hero at that point, right? She really was leading the team um, as a leader and and also, you know, in in her times and everything. So the only real silver lining was when we finally found out (laughs) with the score that we had achieved um, that we had won because that was hard for me. And I I don't know that she knew that that was hard for me too, just because I I really looked up to her. You mentioned the pride of putting on those pink singlets, but what about two, you finished as the number one woman for a team that won a national title. And so that kind of puts you up there with the Vicki Mitchells and the Michelle LaFleur. So how much did that mean to you to be the number one runner that won a title? Again, it was really surreal. I think even right now it's still surreal for me because, um, you know, it just 
really felt like it, it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere, right? My training and, and everything was going well. And, and those conditions were perfect for me um, as a runner. And, and that's really the first time, you know, you always kind of think you're good, but it's nice to actually put, put the, the sneakers to the pavement and, and have some good performances. And that was probably, you know, that's really the first time that I was able to establish myself collegiately. So it was a good feeling. So you make a 108 place jump from your freshman year to your sophomore <laughs> year, which is just crazy in of itself. You win that title and not to, you know, quickly jump to cross country, but how much of that impacted that following track season then, you know, you, you end up getting two all American performances Did that just then all of a sudden give you the confidence you needed to kind of continue a, a tear. It really did. So it was that, again, you're like, okay, like, I, I can do this, like, I can be a, a decent collegiate runner, right? I can put up some good times, not just the, the times I achieved in high school. And then on the track, and it was like, when I talk about Jack's training, you know, it's, it's like clockwork, right? Like, he tells you how to run your workouts and then you go run races and you know it just clicks it off and and that's obviously very true and, and very apparent in in track and fields and so in track and fields it would just kind of it did it just continued from there and, and to be honest my career like I said it, it just it just progressed right from there and it just it just kept progressing which is a phenomenal feeling I, I finished my entire career and my last NCAAs with my fastest 3K, 10K, and 5K time, right? And that's um, that. It's in itself can be un unheard of. Um, so it that's that was just the groundwork that was laid. One with with Jack's workouts and that team, um, and then two with just my ability to progress like that. And a little bit of that again is from the fact that I was just new, right? I was just a blank paper, like taking in these workouts, taking in this team. And, and um, it was so encouraging that that team, that cross country experience, and then leading into the track. With the benefit of hindsight, we can look back at that 97 season as kind of being the, the high watermark for the Cortland program. It was the last championship. You're still achieving individual success, but going into 1998, the optimism must have still been there. You still had a solid team. It just didn't come together at the end of the year. Can you walk us through that season and maybe some challenges that you guys had to go through during the regular season and what attitudes might have been going into nationals? But I do think the shift happened as I came in, right? So this kind of end of, of the, the dynasty, there was a little bit of a gap and maybe it was a gap in recruitment. Maybe it was a gap in talent that Jack always seemed to uncover. And I wouldn't even say lack of talent because there was very talented, um, very talented people. But I think the gap in the year when Jack was gone, right, just didn't, it was enough of a gap that the momentum was lost. And then it, it just didn't come to, together. Uh, it didn't come together again. And, and it was sad for me because I caught the tail end of it, but right. So then the sophomores and the juniors, they didn't even really know it. Um, and there wasn't a lot of, a lot of people that were, you know, our squad, we lost a lot 
between that year too of seniors and then there just wasn't as much continuity and and I was probably still a little too young uh, or just too new to take on that dynamic and, and, and pull it through. So I think that lack of depth in, in some of the, the people who were a part of that dynasty and, and carrying it on um, and that gap, those two things I think were, were what began the downtrend. Interesting point you made. You're only in your third year of running going into 1998 but you had finished 10th the year before and so you're going to be expected to be a leader on the team but yeah you are pretty inexperienced and relatively new at that point was it difficult for you to step into a leadership role on the team i think so because i think like a little bit later on like even the next year um i was able to do that but i i didn't have the experience you know i mean we know that a lot of runners start so early, you know, and, and have so much experience. And, and I wasn't, I didn't have that to bring to the table. And so I think that was, that was a part of, a part of that gap. And I think we were all a little shook um, when Jack did leave, you know, um, that was hard on the team and cause he, he was the glue of the team also. And, and so I think that that dynamic uh, changed quite a few things. Throughout that 98 year, was there any doubt at all when you head to the national meet? Because I think, you know, the few episodes we did before this, you know, there was always this, this confidence of like, it's not a matter of if we're going to win, it's going to matter of how much we're going to win by. Did that ever go away? Yeah, I just think as I came on, you know, the girls tried to convey that, but it wasn't quite the same, I think, starting then, right? And so I wasn't able to to grasp that thought process, right? That like, yeah, we're here and we're taking, we're taking home the goal because that's what we do. Um, and so again, that flowing into the future years, it just didn't, it just didn't happen. Like a lot of women at Cortland, um, you were also balancing your, you know, individual ambitions. Like with a 10th place finish as a sophomore, you're indicating national champion potential. Where was your head at going into the 98 race? You would, you would go on to finish sixth, um, so an improvement over the year before. But you had to be thinking on a great day, why not me? Yeah, and I mean, I think that, that that thought always, like, crosses your mind. Of course, you know, track and field had gone well, um, and so you're just, it just, the progression kept happening. But there is that piece of, of the team, right, and, and what's the team coming at nationals with, and, and it wasn't, you know, all the wins that they had been uh, leading up to nationals, like, in the past, and so uh, we weren't in that same place, and that was an unfortunate, and so of course, you know, you're out there and you're, you're ready for this team to produce and for yourself to produce. And it doesn't, it doesn't quite happen for the team, which is so, <laughs> it, it's, it's so hard because I was excited and, and I knew, you know, I could, I was running better workout times. I was racing better. Like all of those things were coming together. I knew I still had to get out there and perform at nationals, but it was hard to, to not have that, that confidence that the team was going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like we're hyping this thing up that it was this catastrophic collapse of the Cortland team. But in reality, you know, you guys still finished fifth, which a lot of teams would be, you know, ecstatic 
to be a top five team in the nation. And then for you, you know, you finished sixth. But obviously, when you have the background that Cortland's had, it seems as though it's, you know, a failure or a disappointment. What was the conversation like with Jack and how did he frame your team's performance? Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Cheryl came on the scene um, that year too. And so there, there was a little bit of a shift to individual performance. And he, Jack wasn't really um, upset with the team. I think, of course, he would have wanted a win, but he was just very mathematical about it. Um, you know, and he would, he would just discuss with us how we did, how he thought we should have done and where the deficit was or where the, you know, positive um, results were. And, you know, we would talk through it like that, but um, he was never really outwardly disappointed uh, about that with us, um, which was positive um, for us. But he was also just very blatant about it. Like, hey, you know, so-and-so ran well today and -and so-and-so, you know, didn't have a good day, (laughs) Um, which is very much the reality, right, of cross country and and of the performance on on that day. Um, And so I always appreciated that about Jack, even though sometimes hard to hear, right? If you're the one that didn't have the great day <laughs> because he told you and you knew, right? You just didn't have a great day. But again, team-wise, you know, he really wasn't um, outwardly disappointed with us. Yeah, I think, you know, as watchers of the dynasty, you want to imagine it, you know, the backbone of the dynasty being high energy, win at all costs, like devastating losses, but that's not Jack's style. And it it seems to be like the backbone of the dynasty was believing in your training and doing your best. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will tell you that 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 year was so phenomenal. One in my memory and two in some photos, right? Because we talk about the pinks. So a key item of the pink uniform, right? Was that everybody started in the back. It is literally the back of the the cross country nationals start and it is all pink in the back. And that was the year that I finished sixth. So I literally passed almost every single person in that race to get up to sixth place. And so it was, it was, it was believing and executing in exactly what he said. And you walked up to the start line because, and you knew, right? You knew. And another key item that Jack talked about, and I don't know if you guys have already discussed this or not, but um, he really touched on uh, the mental aspect of running and for me, that really set me up in a way that is still evident uh, as an athlete and as you progress, right? So he would always tell us like, hey, like at Division Three, there's not that much difference between the talent, right? The talent's all pretty much there. Like if you're in the, in the top 20%, you're all relatively, you know, the same talent. Um, so then it's about getting out there on that day and overcoming yourself right overcoming what you need to do to to run your fastest that day and um understanding that and wrapping my head around it i think just led to my performance there and my performance throughout my career under him um and then even after uh as i continued as an athlete um outside of the 
cross country running and, and into modern pentathlon. But it's just, he really would always talk about that. Like, there, hey, there's no difference. So you get out there and, and you run your, your race, your way and, and, um, and run your best. And, and I just remember thinking that, I remember thinking that, you know, as I, I finished and I, in general, had a pretty good kick, right? And so I'm passing like, four and five people in the final you know 400 meters of the race and that was pure like mind over matter right you're like I'm just gonna go now and Jack always used to say it doesn't hurt anymore to go faster <laughs> and I tell that to people and they laugh at me but the concept really um it's really on point right you're like okay well what do I do now I'm hurting and you're like I'm gonna push harder and uh, learning that and understanding that. And I, I can guarantee you that there's quite a few uh, red dragons, uh, cross country runners that, that understand that concept. Seems like that's the mantra of a lot of you all had during that is that mind over matter. And throughout this series, we're, we're learning more and more how much, how strong mentally Jack prepared all of you. I mean, there's countless interviews where yeah, I saw so-and-so struggling and I knew I had to step up. How much of that comes on a daily basis at practice of him preaching the good word of Jack Daniels? That's really where, clearly where we learned it, right? We didn't run it, learn it in the races that happened every weekend or in nationals that happened, you know, once a year. It was, it was at the practices, right? So you're out there and he's like, hey, you know, we're doing mile repeats <laughs> with one minute rest and you're going to run this time. And you're like, what? <laughs> um, and you build up to it and you achieve it and then you surpass it, you know? And it was really like, oh, I will tell you, and you know, I'm now almost uh, into my 19th year in the United States military and I, uh, all the time that's in the front of my mind, right? It's, it's, that's what it's about, right? Is, is understanding that when, when the going gets tough, you just push harder. And, and, and again, so every, every run every day, but he also was very intelligent about making us understand that easy days are easy, right? So it's not, you're not pushing it all the time when you're supposed to run easy, you're supposed to run easy. Uh, and so just the whole total concept was, every race, you know, every workout, he just, I'm just so thankful that I got to spend so much time absorbing what his, his real training mantra is, right. And, and what he preaches, not just, you know, uh, in the calculations of figuring out your workouts, but also uh, that, that mental piece. And that's probably what I, what I would be most thankful for. Going into 1999, end of the decade, kind of the last gasp of the Cortland Empire. But for you, going into your senior year, it's really a year to shine. On paper, like, this is going to be your year. You finished sixth the year before, tenth the year before that. You're setting yourself up for, you know, a large amount of individual success you mentioned that there was a little bit of a shift from team mindset to the individual mindset. I'm sure the team was still incredibly important to you, but how bad did you want to improve on that sixth place finish from the year before? <laughs> really bad, of course, you know, like, and you try, again, you're trying not to like psych yourself out mentally, 
right? Um, because that's also what happens, right? You get out there and you're like, I got to run faster. And the big thing that Jack always taught us is don't go out too fast, you know? And so that would be the easiest, quickest um, mistake to make. Um, but no, you know, again, just going out there and having that confidence and you do, <laughs> I know that both of you are runners, so you understand you're running by people. And that's the big thing too. So you start out slow. So you're passing people. Um, so you're not wearing yourself out too early, but then you're also passing people, which just gives you, you know, more energy to keep doing that. Right. So by not psyching myself out and then getting out there and just, you're just picking people off and all you're doing is also creating more of that, um, that, that mental energy to, to keep going. And so, um, that was a big part in me, um, finishing, uh, <laughs> as well as I did. So of course, you know, like a top three, I was like, top three would be awesome. And I was fourth and I was still okay with that. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, it, cause it's so easy to, to not finish as well as you did the year before. So I was, I was happy with that performance. The team finishes ninth that day. You, as you said, finished fourth. Um, right behind your teammate, Cheryl Smith, who you were maybe a second and a half back from her. So the team still had that high-end talent. What were, your, what were your battles like with Cheryl that season? Did you, were you guys kind of fighting for supremacy on the team a little bit? Oh, no, no. She had it the whole time, oh. <laughs> which of course, no, she, I mean, she was, so <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> uh, Jack did tell me that day. He was like, well, you could tell that Cheryl didn't have a great day because she finished right in front of you. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, of course, it wasn't because I had a good day, but it was fine. Um, no, she was really leading. It came off of last year's season and, and leading the team um, that way too. So it, it, was, it was interesting to have someone come in, you know, and perform that well and just exceed so many expectations and, and to, again, just come in and plop themselves right in as, as the, as the lead person. Um, but she was a, she was a phenomenal athlete and, and I appreciated her for that and, and as a teammate. Um, but I really think that the, the, the combination of, of Jack um, on sabbatical. And, and I think it was still a bit of an indication that um, maybe his time at Cortland wasn't going to, to maintain, um, maintain itself. And then a little bit of a shift um, into some individual performances. And, you know, maybe for Jack, that was um, it was hard for him to, to be so successful in the team realm. And then it really did to be able to, continue that you know it, it became a focus to an individual which I'm sure um, again in hindsight we can look at it and, and say that that probably really just changed the dynamic of the team uh, the team and and the way the team bond was before uh, was definitely different when it was um, one person are you able to go into detail on that <laughs> which part of that <laughs> um, uh, the focusing on the individual part well it just you know the, the team was having a harder time um and you know 
it's easy to not look at the team, you know, finishing fifth when you have an individual finishing first. Um, and so it, I think it was kind of natural. It wasn't really, um, I think it, it just kind of transpired that way um, that they were like, oh, you know, Cortland wins individual. Like it was the same as winning team, but it wasn't right. So it was, it was actually quite a giant change um, for Cortland, but Cortland was still successful. So um, it was, it was a shift that I, I think probably undermined a bit of, of that ability. And again, um, just the dynamic and that, that dynasty piece just was kind of, it was fizzling out. This next question um, is coming a little bit after your time. 99, you all finished ninth. You're the only senior on that national team. The following year, Cortland finishes eighth, but in the region. Can you shed some context on what happened there? I've thought about it a bit over the years and just can't quite put my finger on what really what really changed there um i think the the dynasty and that dynamic right it, it kept rolling and then that point where it, it stopped rolling it just didn't pick itself back up again and i wondered right if the recruiting was different if you know the the dynamic of the team um was different because there was still enough talent on the team um but i'll tell you that for sure right having teammates and and having um that common understanding that common pride that that can change a lot especially at, right as we are discussing the mental aspect of running um and i think the mental aspect of, of being on a team it can carry you um and then somewhere that change caused that shift how do you place yourself and the legacy of courtland you're you know you're our only guest to experience both the the highs of winning but then also, you know, as you experienced individual success in your last couple of years, the team placing fell further and further. So you were a part of it. You won a championship, but you didn't win four in a row. Um, so how do, you, how do you look back at your time and place yourself in that dynasty of the 90s? It's funny that you would even say that I'm a part of that dynasty, mostly because those ladies are still on such a high pedestal for me um, as an athlete, because they, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal athletes. Um, and I felt really lucky to be a part of that, right? Even as it concluded, I really just felt lucky to be a part of it. I'm not sure I, I felt like a major contributor so i appreciate that i was able to do that and then to be honest i think the first time i thought about or at least in a long time being the first finisher um for the team that won it's humbling for me and i'm sure it was a little bit closer of a thought in my mind you know a couple of years ago but they're just so phenomenal and to be grouped in with them is an honor for me and to be a part of even the tail end of that dynasty is is pretty amazing well you definitely should feel a part of it i'm going to read off the three-time all-american list and the Cortland women who are part of it 
The first one was uh, Tammy Miller, Michelle LaFleur, Heather Swartz, Heidi Swartz, Julie Donnelly, Cindy Lausen, and you are the final SUNY Cortland three-time All-American. And so you clearly are definitely a part of that. When you hear that, how does that make you feel to be a part of those names? No, it feels amazing because on the, you know, not to talk about track, but to talk about our indoor, right? So we, it's not even the same indoor anymore, but the crappy indoor we used to have that has since been improved. All of those names were on the wall with all of their record times at Cortland. Um, so to be a part of those names and that group of people um, is, it's pretty phenomenal. It, yeah, it's pretty amazing. One question we've asked a lot of our guests is, you know, how close in touch with the team they stayed after graduation. And I think the answer surprised us a little bit. A lot of, a lot of athletes after graduating kind of drifted away from the team pretty quickly, almost as if they had kind of given all they had to give to the team and were just handing it over and fading away a little bit. Talk about your time after graduating. Were you kind of ready to move away from the team and do your own thing or were you keeping tabs closely on them? So I had quite a few friends um, still, you know, uh, in their junior years and in their sophomore years as I was leaving. And then, of course, um, I did come back and, and run another year of, um, of track and field, indoor and outdoor, after um, graduation. And so, no, I, I still, I kept tabs kind of on some of, some of the younger generation um, and encouraging them. And and there was a lot of individual and personal growth still, right? It just wasn't happening for them as a team, um, which is unfortunate because what an amazing thing to experience. Um, and then still, uh, I still keep in contact um, with a couple of the teammates. Uh, so, uh, and this, you know, it's been quite a, quite a long time. Um, so there were, there were, there was, and I went on to, to go do modern pentathlon after, you know, Jack had really introduced me to it. And, and so, um, I was often in touch with Jack and we worked through a lot of, uh, training plans and workouts and stuff like that. So it's been pretty constant for Jack and I, um, up probably until the last four or five years and then, um, and Nancy too. And the, but the athletes, um, yeah, I was still, again, the people that were still there for the next couple of years, I was, but the ones that had graduated and moved on, there, there wasn't quite as much contact. You mentioned you came back for that track season in 2001. So it's following the season in cross country in which they finished eighth in the region. You go on to run four All-American performances in indoor and outdoor, three of which came at the outdoor meet and all three of them were runner-up finishes, uh, not to put salt in the wound. One of them was uh, <laughs> by 0.3. And the one thing that we've noticed, especially in the track side of things, is the Cortland women would go to track nationals and almost win it as a distance squad. But this year in 2001, you're the only distance runner at the track championship. What was this sort of feeling of, wow, they finished eighth in the region, yet you're a three-time runner-up in track? Like, was there a weird divide between that at all, or was it just like you're doing your own thing? I mean, again, I had graduated and just stayed on and, and started some grad school, and so I knew a lot of the, a lot of the individuals 
that were still on the cross country team. Um, but it was strange to not have to see them kind of move into their into their own right into kind of those sophomores and juniors that become juniors and seniors etc um to step up and be able to do perform at nationals and and be able to execute that and so that part um it definitely it definitely was a little strange and in the the dynamic of um, the track and field, um, the coach there, that team was was growing a little bit. And and to be honest, if we looked at it a little bit more holistically, uh, there might have been a dynamic to that um, that played into, you know, the the team, the, the changes in the team, right? So it became a stronger track and field team, and maybe there was um, a little bit of a little bit less of the synchronized um, cross-country team um, so you could even look at that dynamic as as the that dynasty came to an end and so I was you know really uh, good friends and, and had a really good camaraderie with with the track and field people so of course yeah I was there as the as, as a sole distance runner um, but still had some good relationships um, with the rest of the team uh, as we you know were the indoor and, and, and outdoor track and field team. What were the long-lasting influences on your life that this time at Cortland had on you? Um, how did it influence what happened and what you did after you graduated? So athletically running at Cortland and, and performing the way that I did, which of course, you know, is a, a big uh, debt of gratitude to, to Jack Daniels, but also to my teammates and to that team there um, to develop myself as an athlete and to have you know teammates to run with and to learn with and to train with um and to also pick each other up um that was i'm very thankful for all of that and it's so really i came onto the uh scene of modern pentathlon with a phenomenal base in in running um i was really uh top five in the world uh, for the run portion of the modern pentathlon um and it just that training and that understanding of how to train um allowed me to become an olympic caliber athlete so i was alternate in the uh, 2008 olympics for modern pentathlon and was really like took all of those lessons and and everything from developing as an athlete under jack daniels and and under the Cortland team uh with me and and was able to to perform in in that way so again a huge debt of gratitude to that whole my whole time at Cortland um and and every person and every piece of that uh that influenced me as as an athlete and then as a you know as a as a professional um in sport I think that's a great place to wrap and a great sentiment of kind of your time at Cortland and how you know you moved on to become a you know an Olympian which is uh in incredible uh, Nikki, thank you so much for, uh, you know, everything that you offered us today, your service in the military, and just being able to shed some uh, light on your experience at Cortland. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm truly honored to be a part of this and to um, have been a part of that legacy. That's it for episode three of D3 Glory Days, the final episode in our three-part series. Or is it? Hang out for an announcement next week. Uh, we've got something pretty special.
that I think you're going to like to hear. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this series, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast. But even more importantly, tell a friend about it. I think there's some really uh, valuable information here that a lot of people can benefit from. So anyway, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. You are what made us the best D3 running podcast on planet Earth. Couldn't do it without you. Until next time, here's to the glory days. Thank you.